evening. I am the Count, and I love to count. Ah, 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 ah. We've already done one vampire episode, and now this will be count as two, two vampire episodes on Attack of the Killer Podcast. Ah, 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 ah. Attention planet Earth and beyond. Stay tuned for Attack of the Killer Okay, boys and girls, get yourself a bowl of Count Chocula, curl up in your favorite coffin, because it is our Vampires Part 2 episode here on Attack of the Killer Podcast. I am your host, Insane Mike, and Attack of the Killer Podcast is a proud member of the Phantom Podcast Network. We are so proud. We are as proud as parents who their child uses the big boy potty for the first time. If you have not checked out the site... Go to downrightcreepy.com backslash phantom. Check out all the amazing shows on the network, including us. Now, if you already listened to the shows on the network and you are just now getting around to us, uh, the part of John Stalter will be played by an 85-year-old Chinese woman. Also, Attack of the Killer podcast is, what we are, is a free-for-all podcast where we pick a topic and freely discuss films within that topic. So, our podcast is like the milk in my fridge. It may contain spoilers. Oh, that's true. So this is usually around the time when I come up with some funny and extremely clever segue to talk about our Patreon. And this episode is no different. So go to our Patreon at patreon.com backslash AOTKP and help us out. Now, donating to our Patreon will not, will not go unrewarded. There are various perks to donating to our Patreon, such as bonus episodes, getting to pick a commentary show for us to do, and so on. So it's a total... I'll scratch your back, and I'll scratch mine scenario, and we promise this time Brian will wear pants. You promise that. I am not promising anything. (laughs) But you're probably wondering, who are these merry band of misfits that make up Attack of the Killer podcast? Well, guess what, folks? It's time to introduce you to the podcast crew. When he was a little vampire, he got a note from his mother excusing him from math class because he thought the plus signs looked like crosses. Brian Clark, everybody. <laughs> oh, they burn! That, that's probably why I still hate math. <laughs> he stores all of his vampire movies on a special hard drive. It's a terabyte. Jason Bollinger! Oh, <laughs> yep. What's up, everybody? And lastly... I apologize for this one. Oh, she thinks she oh, needs a God. she thinks she needs a new gynecologist because her current doctor is Doctor Acula Terry Turford. Everybody. Oh. <laughs> oh my God! I don't even. I'm not even gonna say anything. Hey, I <laughs> I censored the original version of that. Anyway, why did so, it have to be gynecologist? It could have been any. <laughs> anyway, go ahead. Sorry. Uh, John, 
John Stalter couldn't be with us tonight. Tonight is the grand opening of his brand new restaurant where vampires are not allowed. It's an all-you-can-eat buffet that only serves garlic and steaks. The restaurant is called Buffet the Vampire Slayer. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, shit. (laughs) Okay, so that's all I got. Why don't we do a little bit of Killer News! Now it's time for Killer News! Ripped straight from the headlines on Attack of the Killer Podcast! Well, I really only have one thing that uh, I wanted to talk about tonight on Killer News, and unfortunately, it is yet another sad thing, another obituary. Uh, today, we lost Haruo Nakajima, who was Godzilla. Uh, he was born in 1929, and uh, after World War II ended, he started working for Toho as a stuntman. He was working on a uh, war picture called Eagle of the Pacific in 1953, and his energy and willingness to do dangerous stunts impressed the director, who was Ishiro Honda, and uh, Honda chose him to climb inside the suit for Godzilla in 1954. He returned to the role for 11 more movies, as well as playing many other kaiju in Toho's bestiary, uh, before hanging up his cinematic city-stomping shoes in 1972 with Godzilla vs. Gigan. Nakajima loved being Godzilla. He was proud of his work. He loved meeting his fans. Uh, even with his health failing in the last few years, he continued coming to the U.S. to conventions to sign autographs, to take photos, to shake hands, to have dinner with people whose lives he touched with his gray, scaly, rubber-gloved hands. Um, yeah, it was a rough day. It just it, By the time this episode goes out, it'll be old news, I'm sure, but uh, as of this recording, it just happened this morning. Um, so, yeah, that was kind of a tough way to start the day for me. Uh, I got to meet him just last month in, uh, in Indianapolis at the Days of the Dead convention, which we talked about a little bit an episode or two back. And, uh, man, I'm damn glad I made that trip. I, I kind of had a feeling like that was going to be my last chance, and I took it. Man, if I hadn't done it, I never would have forgiven myself for missing that chance. So uh, rest in peace, Mr. Nakajima. We appreciate everything you've done for the world of monster movies. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Major bummer. All right, so... Let's get let's get back on track. Will anybody else have any other killer news? Anything else going on? Well, you guys went to a horror convention not too long ago as well, didn't you? Yeah, we went to Crypticon. Crypticon. It used to be Kansas City, but this year it was in Saint Joseph. <laughs> Good job. Thank you. You didn't drive there, so it was weird that you remembered. <laughs> uh, you could see the wheels turning yeah, as I did. I'm trying to get to the name of the town. It was a good show, wasn't it, Jason? Yeah, it was. It was in a much bigger place this time, instead of that dirty old hotel. and Yeah, an actual kind convention of event arena, center. event yeah. center, yeah, this time around, so that's cool. So, you know, pros there, because it really felt like you could move around for once. Like, oh, yeah. In the hotel, it's just the room where all the vendors are at, it's just shoulder to shoulder, it's tight. But here... They had like what four rows, and it was all spread out amongst the main floor, and then even up around the uh, the upper seating area, 
they had some vendors up around there as well. Um, so yeah, um, what was there? Jeffrey Combs, that was awesome. Yeah. Um, I forget who else was there. Just think about your autographs. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, Ted Ramey was there. Ted. Um, Danny Hicks. Uh, who else was there? Flash Gordon. <laughs> was he wearing silver underwear? No, he was not. <laughs> Mike checked, and he wasn't. Um, and then Mike got that. kicked out of the show for yeah. pulling down <laughs> Flash Gordon's pants. <laughs> Come on, Jason. Who else was there? I don't saying? think he could have. He's still a pretty buff oh, yeah, dude for guy. an old guy. Oh, Mitch Pileggi was there. Oh, yeah. Lots of lots of guests. A lot of good guests. Oh, I, better remember, better. I remember my favorite. The one I was the most excited to see, I think, was David Naughton. Now, and he did a panel. It was him, and I can't remember the guy's name who wrote the Underworld films or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he's in the Underworld films, too. I can't remember the guy's name. Anyway. Cool dude. They, they did a panel together, and it was obviously, like, so it was a werewolf-themed panel. And... But I didn't give... T- I mean, American Werewolf London, yeah, that's great. That's awesome. You know, great movie. Um, but I didn't give two shits about that. I only wanted to ask him questions about Brutal Massacre. <laughs> <laughs> and I did. Yeah. So. And it just lit up his face. Oh, yeah, he was all excited that I, that I <laughs> name-dropped that movie. And then when I went to his table, we talked about it some more. And he's just like... He's pretty proud of that one, so... And it being such a no-one's-ever-heard-of-it film, it's just really, I think he's pretty excited to... even talked about how there was almost a sequel. I know. I know. Oh, my God. (laughs) Somebody freaked out back at him. Yeah. So, yeah. Anyway, so, good show. Yeah. It's growing. It's getting better. It was the best year yet. Yeah, I think Keeps so. Growing and the only I would have to say if if I were to say any cons to having it there versus what we're used to is one, I mean it's so it's downtown St. Joseph um in this event center. So there's really no hotels like super close by. Not that we were super far out, but every year before it was in a hotel. And so we would just get room a room there every year and it just was like no big thing to just go back and forth to your hotel room all day long. You know, didn't have that luxury here. That and like at the hotel, they had the the back parking lot that was all just fenced off for live entertainment um, all day and all night. And this one, again, not that it's a big deal, but it was like to go see the bands, you had to like walk a couple blocks. Again, not a big deal, but it's only a couple blocks. But as opposed to like literally walking right outside the door of the uh, of the vendor room and end up right there in front of the live entertainment, you know. So, so we didn't really watch a whole lot of the bands this year or anything. So, especially considering that we knew we would have to drive back to the hotel each night. So, and it's in July now, and it was much hotter. Oh yeah, that's true too. It was hotter normally than usual. is, but. Yeah, it's a it's a cool little con. Yeah, and I'm glad too. They, they did think ahead of this too, because like my other complaint would have been um, the lack of food options, because you could go up to the concessions and get food there, but it was like corn dog, hot dog, with cheese, with chili, 
that was pretty much about it. Um, but then when you go outside and you go to where the bands were, there was a food truck parked out there, and the food truck was awesome. So I would I would have almost said, if it wasn't for that food truck, I would have almost said I missed the food at the hotel, and that would have been like Whoa. a big thing, because <laughs> after last year, I swear I'd never eat that fucking hotel food again. So, Which you said the year before, and the year Which, before that. But, I'm true this year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not that there's a choice because the hotel's gone. So. so anyway, yeah. So that's Crypticon, but we're not here to talk about Crypticon. We're here to talk about vampire movies. And so I tried again. We uh, I, I write up lists of movies to, for the topics that that we that we can watch. Um, let's and so I tried to come up with some some really different ones this time around this is a part two so yeah you know so i didn't want to be completely falling down the same path but uh uh who would like to start us off uh don't make me pick well i was the one i'm excited to talk well i'm excited to actually talk about several of them but i was just going to kick it off and it was gonna not be a movie it was gonna be a documentary yeah and the the you're so cool brewster fright night documentary was fucking awesome yes and been hearing about it for years you know at different conventions we'd hear the actors speak about it and people would ask questions about it and they were like oh you know i don't know whenever it comes out and so we never really knew and then it was just boom it was on shutter was was it a Shutter exclusive too though? Or I don't remember. I don't. I no, don't, I don't think so. so. Okay. Because I feel like I would have seen it <laughs> somewhere yeah. and not freaked out when you posted it and said it was on there. I'm like, what? <laughs> this is on there. Yeah, yeah. Well, that was what that was my reaction when I clicked on it and I saw it was there and I'm like, oh, per. Because I went, I went there and I think I went straight to like vampire films or something and it was it was there right. and i'm like holy shit that's awesome we totally have to do it i know it's a documentary <laughs> not really a horror film but it's a documentary about one of the greatest vampire Still. movies ever so yeah and we talked a lot about fright night on the last vampire episode but exactly and i think it's so funny that you guys all just discovered this so it was on there and you're all so excited about it <laughs> and for a couple of weeks before we had talked about doing this episode I'd been scrolling past it, seeing the title, because I, I don't go to the cons that you guys go to, so I had no idea what the fuck it was, and I thought it was just a documentary of, because of the title about the guy who played Evil Ed. I'm like, well, uh, okay, I mean, if it was about the movie, sure, but I don't really want to watch uh, an entire uh, movie about this uh, one <laughs> character actor. I don't really care that much. And when it gets into the porn <laughs> years, it'd get really uncomfortable. I get it. Well, see, that, that, well, no, that would be the part that I'm interested in. I always <laughs> love it when, when somebody, so like a filmmaker or an actor's career goes down the, the CD side of things. Like that's When they hit the, that kind of uh, weird patch, that's, that's what interests me. But, and then when Terry posted about that she was watching it, and she posted the IMDb link, so like okay, well I clicked on that like oh shit it is about the whole movie okay now I want to watch it. <laughs> well, and speaking of Stephen Jeffries, like I don't know, am I the only one that got the impression that you can understand how he is 
fallen out of Hollywood so quickly and went went to the world of porn. Because he Cause seems he's extremely. An ass. Yeah, I, <laughs> I get the impression. I mean, they cleaned up. I'm pretty sure they cleaned up a lot of the stuff that he said. But I really got the impression he's just a, a selfish dick. Wow, that's that. harsh. I, really? I kind of got a bad impression from him when we were at, was it in Indianapolis, when we were at the panel that yeah. had, like, most of the cast, and I don't know, he just gave off weird vibes compared to everybody else. It's either that or he just really hates talking about Fright Night. Maybe. It's just, like, it's the only movie that I know him from, or we'll probably ever see him in, so. It's because you don't watch that much gay porn, at least. Right. I, <laughs> right. I, I just know every time he ever talks, he talks <clears> about how it was weird that they thought he was that kind of character when he's not. Every time he talks, anywhere, anytime, he talks about how he, it feels weird to him that people thought he was the, like Evil Ed and he's really not that. Guy. Yeah. yeah. I thought that was so weird when he was talking about it at the panel because I'm like, wait, was he anything else ever? <laughs> and they that's, talk about that and that's the a thing bit that, during the, the documentary. Yeah, yeah. He even talks. It even gets talked about in this documentary. And that's the thing. I know him from only three films, uh, which is probably the majority of his films before he started doing the films he does now. And that is Fraternity Vacation, Fright Night, and Nine Seven Six Evil. And it's the oh. same character in all three movies. I didn't know he was in Nine Seven Six Evil. It's been a long time since I've seen that movie. Yep, he's the lead guy in that, or the. You know, one that goes down the dark path anyway. <laughs> Becomes the titular monster guy or whatever, eventually. So he just seems perpetually butthurt he wasn't the leading man that he thought I don't he was. Think, I don't think his butt hurts because he wasn't well, the leading okay. man. Oh, <laughs> oh, it. Uh, you, sorry, one. you set that <laughs> yeah, one up. Um, okay. well, maybe. Yeah, he, he auditioned for Charlie Yep. initially. Mm-hmm. Yep. And he's probably a really nice guy. I'm, uh, you know, yeah, you're right, Jason. I was a little harsh. Um, <laughs> Jesus, I'll admit it. But like, I, but really, you watched you watched the doc, and you just really get the feeling like Fright Night was not a great experience for him. Yet, it's gonna be the most. It's gonna be the thing he's the most well known for ever. Uh-huh. Like no one, no one ever saw Fraternity Vacation except for me several times. Um, scrambled cinemax but um and and 976 evil is not a good movie <laughs> no so it's really about it i mean he's probably got some other creds that i'm i can't think of at the moment but i liked what he had to say about you know he read that book and he talked about how uh um you know take advantage of of uh every opportunity or whatever and just got in that conversation with the where he was supposed to he 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 got mixed up for auditions casting director and yeah the casting director was expecting um i forget who now another nerdy actor oh uh anthony michael anthony michael hall and in walks stephen jeffries and he's like you're not anthony michael hall but ended up sitting down and having like a half an hour conversation with the casting director, which ended up helping him get this part in Fright Night. So, yeah. 
And I always thought it was weird too that Amanda Beers, is that right? Is that how you say yeah. her name? And Stephen Jeffrey were both in fraternity vacation together and then they were in Fright Night. And I'm like, yeah. oh man, I've always wanted to know what was up with that. They're not going to talk about that in the doc, but they do! <laughs> Amanda talks about it and it just happens that it was pure circumstance and, you know, um, it just kind of uh, happened that way, but. But yeah, overall thoughts on the doc. What do you. Wh- um, how'd I, you like it? I thought it was good. I learned a lot of stuff. And mm-hmm. They addressed yeah. a lot of things that we always have had questions on. They came out and said it was an Iowa town. Yeah, I mean, it, it's. <laughs> they did. It's still kind of. Thorough, it was kind of like a throwaway it moment because it's not like a big thing where they're like, no. this movie takes place in Iowa. You know, mm-hmm. just like. A, it was bigger for us than it will be for other people. Oh, yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. But yeah, what's his name says like I'm, he's just a small town Iowa boy, and then and then that's all we needed. Like that's yep, all we needed. This movie takes place in Iowa. Confirmed. Sucker. <laughs> we always thought so. But well, yeah, because we always we saw the the koozie or the cup that had the <laughs> Iowa Hawkeye on it, and we're like, oh, is this in Iowa? <laughs> there you go, out there, everybody out there listening in podcast land. Us Iowans held on to for decades now. <laughs> That this movie took place in Iowa just because there was an Iowa Hawkeye's koozie in his bedroom. <laughs> and then they, well, they, they addressed it completely. They just couldn't answer the Billy Cole, who, what was he, you know. But they at least yeah. talked about it for more than they half a sentence. About it. Which and I And I like how they were like, I don't know. I don't even know. He, he didn't even know. Yeah. <laughs> He's like, I don't yeah. know what I am. <laughs> It's not so much that they didn't address it; it was just never important to any of them. Right. Yeah, yeah. Not even um, Tom Holland, who wrote and directed the movie. <laughs> yeah, you know, they but, did. Oh. I mean, and that's something. The first time you ever watch it, you don't. It's not a big deal to you either. It just, no, it never no, was growing up. When you watch it yeah. a thousand times, like we all have, yeah. then like then that's when you start. Like, what is picking, he supposed gotta to be? Pay attention to other things <laughs> yeah. now. Well, yeah. Yeah, because he can walk out in the daylight. You know, he's in a lot of daytime scenes, but he's obviously not a straight human because the way he melts down when he dies and stuff. I mean, he gets shot and gets right back up. You know, but so what is he? So I, I love that they address the um, googly eye thing. How it was just like a, a contact that had gotten. Oh yeah. Out of whack or whatever that always creeped me out, but I guess it wasn't even intentional. I always thought that was really effective looking too, because he's got one normal eye and then this like totally cross-eyed, weird-looking, yeah, freaking contact. And I thought that was intentional, but come to find out, they just he couldn't see worth a shit, so the director made him take one of the contacts out. Yeah, I think that's way more effect. That looked even cooler and creepier than if he had both contacts in. <laughs> I'm sorry, you were going to say something, Brian? I've heard and we've all heard, I'm sure, a million times from special effects docs and articles and interviews and things about what an utter nightmare those scleral contact lenses are. Yeah, those early 80s contacts, because they're just, it's it's basically a sheet of glass that's formed to your eyeball. Yeah, it's like half a sphere of glass that they just, like, kind of pull your face open and poke onto your eye. (laughs) And then... What's even worse is they were talking about how after they were painted, Steve Johnson forgot to, or never bothered to or something, sand out the imperfections on the inside of them. Oh, So yeah. they were all, like, 
damn well, book shit it was inside of them. Beers, yeah. Scratching their eyes all day out. Yeah. Ugh. Yeah. Good. Yeah. That's very creepy. I thought that moment was kind of. It was hilarious for me. Steve Johnson. He's like, yeah. Everybody blames me for those contacts, but he's like smiling and kind of giddy about it. That dude <laughs> well, is such screen. a cock. I love oh listening to him talk, though. I like. Oh, I like listening but to him like talk him, too. But, <laughs> but and I, you know, this isn't the only time. Like I've read stories from many people, but like he makes Tom Savini sound pleasant by comparison. He is Ooh, just ouch. apparently the biggest asshole in the universe. <laughs> I'll have to ask Linnea Quigley what he's really like because they were married for a while. Well, they're not anymore, so that should no. tell you something. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, you never well, I know. thought I thought one of the coolest factoids was that they recycled a prop from Ghostbusters for the yeah. bat at the end. Yeah. That was yeah. awesome. And it totally looks like that, but I never would have, you know, <laughs> I never would have put that together. I mean, you're caught up in the moment. In the big climax of the movie, plus they stuck some extra crap on it. You know, sure, like it yeah. Teeth, yeah. Some weird horns and things. And That's as really a, as a guy that dabbles in special effects myself, and have always been fascinated with that side of, of side of filmmaking, that was like my favorite stuff of the whole doc. It just those. yeah. I was gonna say my favorite story was the the big smiley oh yeah super face story and how they're like oh we'll just do it really quick and we'll only see it for a second oh, and then it yeah. turns. Turns into this giant thing, and it's the on the poster. Fight. And it's, oh. the, the, when they called him up to tell him it was on the poster, he's like, "Oh fuck you, it is not." <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh yeah, and that—that's just the thing. Like you, and you makes you wonder too, because what movie were we talking about when we were watching the dog? And I said that's just like in that other movie where it's one of the most iconic moments of the movie, but it was never actually intended like, to be part of the Christine. movie. Oh yeah, Christine with the uh, when the car um, the shit they added afterwards that yeah it wasn't was even part of what part they originally of shot mountain. of the car rebuilding itself and they went back and did it and some of the coolest stuff in the movie but you hear like it just makes you wonder like some like how many movies are like that I have like one super awesome iconic moment and you wonder was it originally supposed to be a part of the movie was it a happy accident is this something they made up on the spot. And and I don't care what they say. I still think, you know, they those the one guy just seemed totally embarrassed, even still to this day, by that yeah. effect. But I think it looks great. <laughs> it looks great. I think it does too. I know what the thing is. I get it from a effects man standpoint. A couple things. One, you never tell an effects guy that it's only going to be seen in like one shot, <laughs> or if it's going to be in the background, because you are going to be extremely but because yeah, you're you're going to do a. Not a half-assed job, but you're going to let some things go. <clears throat> and you're going to get super butthurt when you find out. Like happens in like zombie movies where you make up all these principal zombies and then you have some background zombies and then you know, director or assistant director or some casting guy or, what, or uh, extra, extras director, some reason some asshole ends up grabbing one of those guys <laughs> in the background and putting them in a fo- foreground in the shot and you're like, that's not the purpose you know <laughs> so it's either it's either you stick to what you say or i'm gonna spend 16 hours on every single makeup i don't care if we have 100 zombies out there <laughs> <clears throat> because it's his art that's uh being judged on that screen at that moment but 
With that said, I think the effect looks awesome, and I also understand the other his other concern about it is it is really just an appliance that's just an open Immobile. mouth. Yeah. yeah. And if if it was something that was planned, I guarantee it would be animatronic. Your mm-hmm. lips would move, or the jaw would move, or something. But it doesn't matter because it works. It works so well in that moment, and it doesn't matter if it's just an open mouth the whole time. Does it make sense to me? She's trying to bite his throat out. Yeah, she's time. in attack mode the whole time, so she exactly. doesn't need to have. <laughs> I like how they were saying that she was like in pain in that scene, or like she kept hitting her head or something. Yeah, but they couldn't. No one could tell because <laughs> she was under that mask. Like mm-hmm. they didn't know that she was like hurting. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Sounds like Amanda Beers uh, had it more rough than Stephen Jeffries, and yet she just had glowing things to say about being in the movie, so... Oh, yeah. And I know that I... We talked about this before, like, in the last Vampire episode, I was like, oh, uh, Chris Sarandon eats fruit because he's a bat. And then that was confirmed at the con a while back, but they also talk about that in the documentary, which made me really happy. Yep, that was uh, that was a bit that Chris brought to the to the role. Yeah. Yeah. So cool. Very I told cool. I told Justin Beam that I think that he's a young Chris Sarandon. <laughs> like I I feel <laughs> Why like Why would you tell a, him that? In like in like twenty years, he's going to look and act like Chris Sarandon because he kind of already acts like him a little bit. <laughs> the same hair, he's got the same beard. Yeah, They're both very soft spoken. Yeah. Sweet, let's make re let's remake Fright Night. Yes, <laughs> but Justin would do it too, and you know, yeah, or a Fright Night fan film. Jerry Dandridge comes back. <laughs> I'm playing Peter Vincent. Oh. <laughs> oh, that the the loop around with the fake Peter, like the the one that they had for the doc. Uh-huh. It was all right. It was I, a little annoying at times. I yeah, I didn't care for it. I thought some of it went on too long. Felt a little unnecessary. Yeah. Felt oh, it like was, yeah, a little long winded. A lot of those jokes just did not work for me at all. But. I get it. Tried I get what something. they're trying yeah. to do. Yeah. You know? no, yeah. And Put at the end of the day, it's it. fine. Yeah. It doesn't ruin anything. I just, it was that just wasn't for me. Yeah. Yeah. It was a little rough going from talking about you know, uh, Roddy and yes. the doc and going and seeing that guy like you're not Roddy. Yeah. <laughs> like it was just a little sad, but that for me was the most awkward moment of the whole talk. Like, go, all these glowing things that everybody has to say about Roddy, and then, like, this guy trying to do a really bad Roddy impersonation. I'm like, this feels a little, this feels a little not right. Yeah, I appreciate what they were trying to do, though. Like, it no, was I, fun. Yeah. yeah, for sure. Yeah, for sure. I get it. Did you notice there was a Hellraiser puzzle box on his uh, little end table there at the beginning? Okay. I noticed that, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And what, and... I would like to just see a whole doc on Roddy McDowell. Like, I, sure. I kind of felt like they didn't spend enough time in this doc about him, but at the same time, you know, what else could I guess be said? 
You know, it's not like he could speak for himself. Well, of course, they did have, they did have a lot of old footage from back in uh, interviews from back in the day. They did. That I wonder was where cool, that yeah. shit was for. Yeah, just like some press junkety stuff. I guess. It looked like they were like in a barn or something. Yeah. <laughs> so I don't, I don't know what sort of theme show that would have been. So that oh, it was cool. So that's cool too that they had like all these old interviews which you never knew existed. Yeah, and they had some um, behind the scenes stuff like on set too. Oh yeah, which yeah. Which was cool. A lot, yeah. Mostly for like the special effects stuff, but they did have a little bit in there. Always like seeing that stuff. Yeah. I like the Steve Johnson story about how he about melted his feet off. I was like, yes. <laughs> yeah. Or about how the one other guy got blasted in the eye with benzene and thought he was going to go blind. Oh, yeah. 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 A lot of chemicals on that set. A lot of dangerous <laughs> A lot of not chemicals. chemists on that set. Yeah. See, you never, like, those, it's another lament about CGI taking over from practical effects. You work, you know. We don't get that kind of stuff on on extra features anymore. You don't get. I mean, forgetting the fact for a moment that no one can name their favorite uh, uh, hair renderer or, or lighting <laughs> specialist. On, yeah. on, but you but you can name two dozen effects guys off the top of your head. But well, you never get cool stories like the. Oh yeah, there was this one time that I was adding the final touches on the on the wind blowing the hair on this werewolf, and then my computer exploded and glass shards <laughs> flew everywhere. Like that just doesn't happen. It's just dudes so sitting in a room clicking a mouse. It's the most boring fucking thing ever. The screen screen about fell on me once. <laughs> right. That's it. Yeah, that's a, that's a good point. You know, and like, and in the early '80s with Fangoria magazine. Those special effects artists were rock stars, you know. They, uh, I mean, like, and in my high school days, I would when I'd go to the video store, I would look to see who did the special effects. I cared more about that than who acted in the movie half the time. Rock stars with feathered hair and terrible molester mustaches. Oh man, so bad. <laughs> AKA rock stars. Yeah, well, yeah. These <laughs> rock stars. Oh yeah. Did we do an episode on effects artists? Because I think we should. Probably should. I think we did. Oh. Well, Maybe not. The historian well, will check in. If we're doing a Vampires Part 2, <laughs> then we can do an effects artist episode Part 2. <laughs> Another thing I really liked about this documentary is I personally have not heard Tom Holland speak much about anything. And this was full of him uh, being very sweet and humble. And I enjoyed that like, a lot. He seems like a super awesome guy. And right? the thing is, is I have gained a lot of respect for him over these past few years. I know he's he's done a lot of stuff with Adam Green because he's in, he's in um, was it Hatchet Two I think, and not even ever really paying much attention to his career up to this up to this point. I knew that he did Fright Night, and I knew he did um, Child's Play, but didn't really know much else beyond that, honestly, because um, I, I didn't really even care. Like, who was this guy? I never saw his face. Again, it's not like um, John Carpenter or George Romero, where their faces are just as prominent as their movies themselves, but... Uh, 
you know, he just was just like a you know faceless director to me. And then I heard in a great episode of the movie Crypt um, that had him on. Just I could listen to that guy tell stories forever. And that's when I learned that he wrote um, Psycho Two, which made me go back and rewatch that. And I freaking love Psycho Two. And and it also like talk about ballsy doing Psycho Two. You know, it's like one of his earlier credits of his career and yet he is tasked with writing a sequel to an alfred hitchcock film almost 20 years later after the fact like you got to have some big balls on you to do that and he did it it was going to be a tv movie and it was so good yeah (laughs) that they're like nope screw it this is going in theaters and it ended up being a commercial success it was a it was a pretty decent hit so much so they did like two more sequels after that. So, you know, so yeah, so uh, I've kind of have a whole new love and have fallen in love with Tom Holland and kind of want to go back and um, I have been going back and looking more into his career. But it's also cool, like, not only is he a writer and a director, but he's also an actor. That's kind of where he started was acting. So... Yeah, that was cool. What was it showing? I can't even remember what it was showing him in. He was the sheriff and He was in Psycho 2, actually. Oh, yeah, that's yeah. right. But then they showed a clip uh, from a couple of uh, TV dramas that he was in or something like that, too. I can't yeah. remember what. But... How was his Masters of Horror episode? Which one was his? We all screamed for ice cream. See, and I don't think I've ever actually seen that one, to be honest with you. That was even... pretty good. Because even at the time, I was like, okay, you know, Tom Holland, whatever, you know. <laughs> I'll get around to it eventually, and then never did. Yeah. So. It wasn't one of the great episodes, but it was amusing. It was uh, uh, William Forsyth as a as a ice cream vendor who was like a mentally challenged ice cream vendor who is bullied and teased and then gets killed and comes back for mm. ice ice cream themed revenge. <laughs> Nice, nice. So, I mean, it's one of the goofier episodes. It's not particularly serious, but then the, you know, there's a kind of a humorous streak through most of Holland stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, and he also did the screenplay for Class in 1984. I almost forgot about that. And I love that movie. That movie's so awesome. Um, and like, talk about somebody, somebody um, later in their career really getting a grasp of uh today's digital digital uh media like he's got a really hot and successful website he he's very active on twitter yeah he's i was gonna say he's very active on a lot of social media so good for him it's awesome definitely gonna follow keep keep digging more into his career because i get on kicks like with directors and stuff like i become obsessed with a particular director for a while and go back and um, try to buy everything that they've ever done. So, Tom Highland might be the next one. Very cool. What else about this doc, guys? There's so much stuff. Thought you'd so awesome. Thought you. Uh, thought you would really enjoy the part about the score. Yeah. I wrote the score. Oh, yeah. I really went into everything in this movie. Yeah. Well, it's so what? What, what was, was his it like? Name? A... Re. 
Ah, shit. I already forgot everything I watched. <laughs> what was this? Friedel or something? I don't remember. Is that the guy's name? Sure. I like how they... He tells the story about how he wrote this one piece for scene between uh, Chris Sarandon and and Amanda Beers, where there's no dialogue in that scene, right? And it's just that you know, kind of looking at each other thing. And but he had wrote lyrics to it, and he was all proud oh, yeah, of the his sexy scene. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he was all proud of his like lyrics and shit. Um, and then, like, I think it was Tom that made him take the lyrics back out and just wanted the score. And it, yeah. was, it was interesting how it really kind of goes to show the impact music can make on a scene. Even if it's the exact same song, but just with, like, lyrics can really change change what you're looking at. Heck yeah, I love that soundtrack. I need to get that yep. on vinyl. Totes. Every time I every time I go to a convention, I see it, and I'm like, oh, I should totally buy this, but they're always so expensive, and I'm cheap, so <laughs> <laughs> I just need to do it. Cool, cool. Feels so- like we could do a whole episode just on this doc. It's so good. <laughs> it's a really good one. So if you got Shutter, check it out. And if you don't, get Shutter because it's awesome. Yeah. Holy crap. You're so cool, Brewster. That's right. Oh, Tom Holland explains, too, about the ending there, too, as far as, like... Oh, yeah. What motivated all that, so... It it always kind of stood out to me that it it sounded like a recycled line right there at the end with the You're So Cool, Brewster, and... Now I know. It actually Mm -hmm. is. (laughs) (laughs) Alright, so I guess that's enough about documentaries. Let's get on to some... some. It's a documentary about vampires in a movie. Sure, sure. But it what works. I, I want to know, is if we were to do a documentary about vampire movies, I would want Brian to do a documentary <laughs> about these three Toho vampire movies he made us watch. <laughs> and I wonder what that would sound like. Made you watch. I think you mean gifted upon you. <laughs> <laughs> they were honestly, they were great. They were a lot of fun. Yeah. Yeah. I really enjoyed them. But it's just, I'm so I want to know more about these movies because it just this seems such a weird moment in not only Toho's uh, filmography but in Japanese cinema as a whole. It's like what you would normally not expect to see, but yet still right. feels really Japanese. But go ahead, tell us about these. Uh, well, in from 1970 to 1974, there were three vampire movies loosely referred to as the Bloodthirsty Trilogy uh, that came out from Toho. They were all directed by Michio Yamamoto. They were all produced by Tomoyuki Tanaka, who's also the producer of Godzilla. And the scores were all done by Richiro Manabe, who did some of the uh, later... 70s Godzilla movie scores. Uh, the first one, and I think the best one, is called Vampire Doll. And uh, the story there is about a guy named Kazuhiko who goes to visit his fiance Yuko after he's been out of the country on business for six months. And uh, he discovers that she was killed in a landslide. Her car got buried and she was crushed to death. Um, 
it's late at night by the time he gets to her family home because it's out in the mountains. It's very remote. It's raining. It's, you know, typically gothic atmosphere, which we'll talk about a little bit in a minute. And uh, so they insist that he stays the night and he winds up running into her. He, you know, as people do in these movies, he just kind of has a case of insomnia and is out walking around and runs into her out in this sort of, I don't know, burial gown almost kind of thing. And uh, then he just never shows up at home. So his sister, Kiko, and her boyfriend, Hiroshi, go to look for him. And uh, when they get there, they say who they are, and they're told, oh, you, you just missed him, he left yesterday. But, of course, they have a feeling something fishy's going on, so they stick around for a bit of Scooby-Doing, and they won't... <laughs> and they wind up discovering some unpleasant family secrets at the Nomomura household. Uh, this is... It, it has, I think, the most interesting cause of vampirism I've seen in a long time, maybe ever. It's certainly oh, unique. Oh, yeah. Definitely. Yeah. Very unique, yeah. Where we find out that the town doctor is really her father. He came back from the war after World War II ended and found that his wife was pregnant. She, uh, I, I think, didn't someone broke into their home and attacked her? Wasn't that it? I think so. No, it, it, it's it was... Been, Wait, what? Or she, or she had taken another. He was. He came back, and he. I can't remember why he was mad, but he killed everybody and like knocked. That's her right. Out. That's right. Because there, there was all this talk of an attacker. Yeah, and, and it was the him. attacker was him. Yeah. Okay. Oh That's yeah. Right. I okay. knew I'd got that confused there somewhere. Um, so he took off and and uh, you know took up residence as the town doctor, and uh, he. When the car accident happened, when Yuko's car got buried, he hypnotizes her to make her body heal itself, kind of a mind-over-matter thing. And through that process, it caused her to resurrect as a vampire. Like, her body did heal itself and became extremely strong. And ascent- I mean, maybe not necessarily immortal, I guess, but, uh, you know, she rejuvenated, but she needed yeah. blood. And but when he dies, because she ends up killing him in the final confrontation. Yep. And when that happens, it breaks that hypnosis, and then she just collapses and withers away in, in you know true Hammer style fashion. <laughs> but yeah, I just love that idea that it was hypnosis and this kind of mind over matter thing. It's a very interesting and unique way to to go about the vampirism. Yeah, definitely. I think it's the most unique explanation for vampirism that I've ever seen. And you were talking earlier about it's kind of an odd little footnote in Japanese cinema and it's there it's an eastern take on a western thing cuz this is Toho doing Hammer. Yeah, totally. At a time when I mean Hammer was kind of winding down by this point, but it's possible that it, the movies had been you know, slow to import, much like we got a lot of kaiju movies two or three years or even more after they were released in Japan. You know, it probably took a while to go the other direction, too. And so, yeah. you know, to them, they were seeing, oh, this is making big bucks, let's try to do this ourselves. And so you get, for the most part, a pretty successful uh, uh, pastiche of that style. Where you've got, you know, castles and dark stormy nights and lightning and, and capes and you know, foggy nights and that kind of thing. 
Yeah, I, I totally agree. I think it's extremely successful, and you could totally see the uh, Hammer influences on all three of these films. In particular, Vampire Doll, I think. I think that's got the most atmospheric out of the three, personally. Yeah, yeah it's, it's definitely my favorite of the bunch. Um, there's the only two people in it who most American audiences would probably recognize that much would be uh, Kayo Matsuo as Keiko, who uh, played uh, Sayaka Yagyu in Lone Wolf and Cub, Baby Card on the River Sticks, mm. which was later edited together with several other Lone Wolf and Cub movies to make Shogun Assassin. So that she would have been a familiar face to drive in crowds. And then uh, Yukiko Kobayashi as uh, who is Yuko. She was Koyuko Manabe in Destroy All Monsters and she also had a small part as a native girl in Yog Monster from Space but Destroy All Monsters would be the one that you know she'd probably stand out for with most American audiences. These movies have actually never seen home video release in the States. Their, uh, Arrow did put them out in a box set over in England and there was a Japanese laser disc one of them has commentary on it so there is somewhere out there there is more information about these movies but it's not readily available <laughs> yeah. to us. And I don't think that commentary track even made it to the Arrow release for the UK. I'm not 100% sure. Huh, interesting. But yeah, I'd love to be able to get a, you know, one of these days I'll get a, a region-free Blu-ray player and get, like, proper copies of these. Yeah. I wonder why, though. I wonder why these um, have never been transferred over to the States. And, you know, up... I would say it's a niche market thing, but the shit that Arrow and Vinegar Syndrome and all these other companies put out now, it's all niche market <laughs> stuff. So it's it's just yeah. possible. You know, This actually seems something that's a little more in Synapse's wheelhouse, even though Arrow's already probably got the rights to it. So I wouldn't be surprised if we did see them stateside soon from Arrow. But Synapse does a lot of the pinky violence stuff. Um, of course, Arrow's been doing the female Prisoner Scorpion movies too. So you know they they've both done a little bit of... Uh, Japanese, uh, vintage Japanese stuff. But up until now, it probably just wasn't feasible that, you know, there wasn't really that much of a market for it. But I think now that we're seeing physical media swing more towards the niche market stuff in general, that, you know, there's a good chance we will see legitimate copies of these. Because these three movies have been kind of cinematic holy grails for me for a while. Like, I've known about them for years just because, you know, I'm, I love all the Japanese stuff. But, mm-hmm. um, They've been really fucking hard to find. And then just off the top of my head this year, I, it occurred to me, like, hey, I should ask one of my buddies from G-Fest. I bet they could tell me where to get them. And sure enough, the guy's like, yeah, I got them. I'll send them to you. So nice. that's how we wound up with these. So, yeah, we're, we're one of not a great we're, – we're, we're a group of people from a small group of people <laughs> who have seen these movies in the States. Um <laughs> The second one was 1971. That was Lake of Dracula. And this is, I think, the weakest one of the bunch. What do you guys think? I agree, because I honestly... Because I watched all three of them almost in a row, and I can't remember a stitch about Lake of Dracula. <laughs> yeah, it's it gets it's really slow in the first half especially once we start getting a little more vampire action it gets a yeah. little better but i may have fallen asleep during lake of dracula <laughs> i wouldn't blame you and if i say um, if i say maybe then that's definitely yes <laughs> this one's about a woman named akiko who suffers from a sort of half suppressed childhood nightmare that's kind of coming back into her consciousness of her dog running away and she follows it and it, it runs into this kind of mansion by a lake 
and she goes in to find the dog, and there's a vampire in there. And so she's a painter, so she's been painting all these pictures of, like, this big golden eye that's kind of like a sunset reflecting on a lake, which is fucking awesome, by the way. That, that painting's, like, the coolest part of the movie. <laughs> I'd love to have a print of that hanging on my wall. But anyway, um, she has just come to this little lakeside town, and as she arrives, like, almost the same day, this coffin gets dropped off at the low... I don't know what function that guy serves harbor master or whatever he is i don't know just town caretaker i don't know but this coffin gets delivered and uh then he gets kind of taken over as a renfield and the local women start to suffer these strange attacks and you know blood loss and bite marks and all this stuff and at first she feels like she's the only one who knows what's going on she's trying to tell people like this has something to do with my childhood and everyone just thinks she's nuts and uh, eventually a doctor examining some of these victims decides, no, she's right all along. They're drained of blood. There's bite marks. There must be a vampire. So, yeah, well, her uh, her best friend uh, gets taken over, like, somewhat possessed, I guess. You know, she doesn't fully get turned, but the vampire's been biting her and has, has influence over her. And uh, this one, the, the each one has a different cause for the vampirism. And yeah. they're all kind of unique to the, like, there's never been one quite exactly like it in each movie. And this one is kind of a hereditary thing, where the uh, the vampire gets, you know, he, he's, he's sort of the shame of the family. He's got some illness, I forget exactly what it was, but they lock him away in the basement, and he starves to death. And, you know, whatever is wrong with him brings him back as a vampire. And this one, the oh, go ahead. Oh no, uh, no, go ahead. I got nothing. The the vampire in this and the next one are uh, is played by an actor named Shin Kishida, and he looks like totally the Japanese Christopher Lee. Like he's this mm, big, tall, okay. lanky dude who kind of towers over everyone else, and he has these real strong features, this very kind of piercing gaze, and like he just he looks great as a vampire. <laughs> um, and he would be recognizable, again, to American audiences who see this as he's the Interpol agent Nanbara in Godzilla vs. Mechagodzilla. He was in a couple of different Ultraman series and played different characters in two different Lone Wolf and Cub movies. So, I don't know, have you guys anyone seen any of the Lone Wolf and Cub movies? I... Am I talking out my ass here? No, <laughs> like I, know I, usually I've, am. I know I've seen... I know I've seen... Well, I have no idea. I mean, I know I've seen... Something, I just couldn't tell you which one or what it was actually that I've seen. But I'm I'm said, really familiar with the with the with the story and everything. So yeah, so I I would put money on it being Shogun Assassin. That's probably, probably the most widely seen one because that was yeah. like the first two or three movies edited together into That's basically cool. all of the action scenes from the first three movies and then kind of stitched together with some narration. Gotcha. That but yeah, they're they're awesome. One, yeah. Hmm. Yes, it was probably that one, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, again, I don't remember too much about Lake of the Vampire. Um, I don't have too much to add about this one. Um, yeah, I don't know. Uh, well, you can go ahead and explain the third one then, and then we can come back with our thoughts on these yeah, movies. Yeah. 
So then 1974 wraps up the trilogy with Evil of Dracula, and it ends on a much stronger note than uh, Lake of Dracula. Mm-hmm. Never quite matches Vampire Doll for that style and atmosphere, but it, yeah. it it's a step back up. Um, it, it's You can see it's much more 70s, because the first one was made in 1970, so there wasn't really time for the zeitgeist of that decade to have got its claws, <laughs> or fangs in this case, into the movie. But uh, So that was much more your standard gothic horror thing, whereas this one is a little more hip and swinging and, you know, bell-bottoms and the whole nine yards. And you're talking specifically the Dr. Sideburns, right? Is that what you mean? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Those were glorious. <laughs> so in this one, uh, there's a professor named Shiraki, and he's been hired to the post of psychology teacher at the Seimei School for Girls. But it turns out the principal, who's Shin Kishida again, playing the vampire, but not the same vampire has actually chosen Shiraki to be his successor. You see, his wife has died recently, and he's ready to retire because the grief has just made him not interested in doing anything but being sad anymore. And, of course, the principal's wife is not as dead as she looks, all laid out for viewing at the house, which is fucking weird, but they say it's a local custom, and it's like, no, it's totally fine that this dead body is just kind of laying in this dude's living room yeah i wonder and, if I, uh, I wonder if i could get away with that by having a dead body in my basement and just say <laughs> it's some old family tradition custom uh go ahead and try okay we'll we'll see what happens <laughs> and uh just make sure the cops don't hear this episode of the show <laughs> i'm just i'm just saying if ed gein would have had that excuse you know history would have been way different so i think Dead body laid out for viewing and belt made out of vaginas <laughs> might be too different. It's a Gein family custom. <laughs> okay. Uh, anyway, right before the school lets out for a break, one of the students falls ill, and two of her friends decide to stay and take care of her. And at this point, Shiraki has kind of figured out what's going on. He's seen the principal's wife up and about, bearing her fangs. And he and Dr. Shimamura, the school physician, stick around to protect these students what they from what they increasingly expect are vampire attacks. And they do and a shitty job protecting them, yes. Yes, they do. <laughs> and, of course, then there's their creepy-ass Renfield uh, literature professor, Yoshi, um, who just wanders around spouting inappropriate <laughs> bits of poetry and things. Uh, in this movie, the vampirism started in the 1600s, and this is probably the closest to the explanation you would get from a European-style vampire movie, I think. But then, of course, ported over because you still get some of the Eastern uh, cultural stuff in there. Because in the 1600s, a European man, who may or may not be Dracula, um, shipwrecked on the Japan coast, and at that time in Japan, Christianity was illegal. So he was forced to spit on the cross and renounce God, and then they exiled him into the wilderness, and he wandered alone and, and starving and wound up drinking his own blood to serve, which totally wouldn't that you couldn't do that. He would still die. But then he wound up killing other people and drinking their blood and just sort of a, you know, between the renouncing God and drinking blood thing, he was punished by uh, being turned into a vampire, which is kind of like, uh, like Bram Stoker's Dracula or, uh, was it Dracula 2000, where the vampire was actually Judas? Uh, Judas? Yeah, yeah, it's Dracula 2000, yeah. Yeah, so that that kind of what it reminded me of. And uh, other than, uh, other than uh, Shin Kishida, the only other person of, of note in this is Katsuhiko Sasaki, 
who I actually got to meet at my first G-Fest. He is probably most famous as Goro Ibuki, inventor of Jet Jaguar in Godzilla vs. Megalon, nice. which would have which would have some uh, some value to people who aren't even necessarily Godzilla fans because that was a Mystery Science Theater episode. <laughs> yep. And he was also a biologist named Akira Ichinose in Terror of Mechagodzilla and had a couple of smaller roles in Godzilla vs. Biollante and Godzilla vs. King Ghidorah. Sweet. I love Godzilla vs. Biollante. Yeah, I, me too. That's one of my favorite Godzilla movies, and that actually yeah. is my favorite Godzilla design. Like, the, just that yeah. version of Godzilla looks the most badass to me. Uh, it's, and just the design of Biollante is one of my favorite Yes. Designs of his, you know, enemies. And it's also, I think, like, the first time, like, there's some good Godzilla gore in that one. He bleeds quite a bit in that movie. Yeah, he gets his hand impaled. He gets speared yeah. through the shoulders and chest a few times. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, um, but yeah, what, what what is this referred to again? The Blood Trilogy? What was the, it? The Blood, the Blood Thirsty Trilogy. Blood Thirsty Trilogy. Um... Mr. Vampire, that's is that Japanese or is that No, that's Chinese. Chinese, okay. Okay. So with my um cultural insensitivity and consistently mixing up different different um Asian cultures, I always I always assumed that the hopping vampires was a Japanese thing. And so I found it really interesting that they that these three movies was a total and I don't know I would assume Japanese still has some kind of lore surrounding vampires of their own mythology, but that these three films have way more of a traditional, or I guess you could say Hammer-style, feel to the vampires, other than the origins are really, you know, unique and different. But, uh, yeah, just, again, not what I was expecting when you told me that Toho Pictures did vampire movies. Not one grew to... 50 feet tall and trash yeah. Tokyo. Yeah. Weird. I mean, even Frankenstein did that in a in a in a Japanese movie, but not mm-hmm. not a <laughs> But anyway, but seriously, like I I really enjoyed these. Again, I don't remember hardly anything Lake and part part of the problem too that and I'm grateful for your in-depth um descriptions because I would be constantly getting them confused during this conversation. And I'm probably still going to. Because watching them all three in a row like that is not is not wise if you try to retain anything from these. But um, And I watched them out of order just for pure ha- happenstance of the situation the time I was and trying it, to watch it them. It doesn't matter, though, because there's no story arc. No, and I was wondering if there was going to be. And, and uh, yeah, you're right, there's not. But I watched um, Vampire Doll first, obviously, because I wanted to go in order. Um, and then I couldn't couldn't get to Lake for some reason. Um, I don't know if I was having problems with the download or what. But then I but so I watched um, the th- what's the third one called again? Damn it! Evil of Dracula. Evil of Dracula. I watched that one second, and then Lake. And the thing I noticed between Evil of Dracula and Vampire Doll is the beginning of the movies are very similar similar it's both both guys going to some creepy house in the middle of nowhere and there's a person who has died by a car accident the the uh the the girlfriend he gets to the house in vampire's doll 
she's when he gets to the house to meet her, she's dead, and it was by a car accident. And the wife of the headmaster in Evil of Dracula had also died by a car accident. So I couldn't wait to get the lake uh, to see if it was the same, if it started the same way too, and it doesn't. But no, there are no car accidents. No car just accidents. A cute dog. <laughs> so yeah, but uh, what's her name again? Yoki from uh, the first movie from Vampire Doll. The the titular vampire. Y- Yuko. Yuko. God damn, she was creepy. Yeah. All that that smile and those contacts. Mm-hmm. Very yeah, effective. Very creepy. When my favorite scene is when he uh, goes to her grave and she's standing there in in the yard, um, in that nightgown, and she's like, "Kill me, please, kill me," or whatever she's saying, and he goes up and hugs her. And it and it switches to that camera view over his shoulder where you see her head just kind of lift up a little bit. Her eyes are wide open. She's got that grin. And then you see in the foreground of the camera shot of, of her arm raising up with that knife and those yeah. weird weird veiny marks on her arms. Like that was freaking cool. That was some that was some creepy ass shit. I loved it. Loved it, yeah, loved that, it, loved it. Beautifully. That's definitely beautifully the enjoyed. one of the three that I'm going to be revisiting the most. Like, I kind of yeah. want to watch it again right now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, because yeah, I, I, I still had a lot of fun with Evil of Dracula, but the um, the quote-unquote Dracula of the movie just, uh, just didn't work for me. It looked a little corny, you know? Because I don't know. I'm sorry. This is, here, I'm going to pull out the racism card right here. But uh, <laughs> to see a Japanese man with with white makeup on, fangs, and a and a Dracula style cape just doesn't work for me. <laughs> looks a little it's silly. Okay. It's okay. Like, it's like watching white guys do kung fu. It just looks weird. <laughs> oh, good point. Great point. I can t- I can accept that. But all of them still have some great, really great atmosphere moments and creepy moments and the scores on these things are awesome too I love the music in these movies very very gothic slash 70s-ish that's a good way to put it and just think about you remember we were just talking about you're so cool Brewster about how horrible those contacts were in 1984 (laughs) imagine how bad they were in 1970 (laughs) Oh man, forget about it. They were effective though. They looked good. They looked good. Oh, Jason, what did you think of these? I loved them. I I was just I just remember I was sitting there watching Vampire Doll and uh I I it just like I think you were, uh, talk to you later and we both had kind of the same thing we were just but i was watching it and i'm just like how fucking cool is this that we're watching a japanese film about fucking vampires like you said uh you kind of a more gothic traditional yeah yeah like it, it it wasn't godzilla it wasn't yeah they they again they don't grow to 50 feet tall and they don't do kung fu so you guys know they do make other kinds of movies. <laughs> I don't. I don't think we did, Brian, until we watched this. Is what I'm saying. I'm not sure we did know that. Well, we kind of did have that conversation too. Like, there was a time in my youth. I will. I will blame my youth for this. My, um, for my uh, lack. But 
there was a time when I was a kid, I'm like, I only know Godzilla movies and kung fu films. And I literally thought that is all they made. You know they don't make kung fu films in Japan either. Those are Chinese. <laughs> See? And I still don't know what the fuck I'm talking about to this day. So, all on, I know, Jason. All I know is that until we watched these, I'd never seen a Japanese vampire film and it was just fucking cool to be and it was good it was it was good mm-hmm. and yeah, we was, should do i mean we should do a straight up just asian horror episode yes we should <laughs> but, i could see brian smiling from ear to ear when she said that too <laughs> well you know and i mean things outside of godzilla no offense, Brian. No, no, I'm taken. If we did an Asian horror movie episode, I would not say, a, well, other than saying, hey, this person was in a Godzilla movie, I would not bring up a Godzilla movie as an actual topic because there's so much more out there. There's lots of good ones. Like, um, I Saw the Devil. That one's really good. I don't know what origin it is. Korean, maybe? I don't know. But yeah, so I watched one of these. Can I talk now? <laughs> yeah, go ahead. <laughs> so, you guys got really into it there. Um, I Well, I only got a chance to see Vampire Doll, which was awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, really weird and creepy, and you guys pretty much said everything already. Um, <laughs> I was kind of curious about, uh, on IMDb, it's listed as Fear of the Ghost House Bloodsucking Doll. Was that... Yeah, it has like 20 alternate titles. Okay, okay. Because it took me forever to find it on there. I'm like, what? I had to like look up the director and then go to his page and like feel like it. I was just having a difficult time, but yeah, creepy. I didn't, I didn't like the um, the bird death, but it was quick, so I got over it. Oh yeah, I I was a little worried about that. All of them had a little something. Oh, shit. Oh, that was the only one that had real animal death. Yeah, it was like a real bird being murdered, but it was fast. (laughs) They didn't draw it out. What's the one that cut the frog head off? What was the one that cut the frog head off in one? Oh, that that was in Evil Dracula, I think. They cut it off to cook it or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. It It was like some kind of like. I don't want to say farmer's market, but you know what I mean. Uh, some, like, yeah. open... I guess stuff like that... To, like, I watch so many Asian movies that, like, there are... You get a lot of that kind of stuff with, like, animals just getting hacked up as food prep. But it's it's done so casually. It's like, this is just how it's done there. Like, you go... You walk down a market street in wherever, and you're going to see, you know chickens getting plucked and and snakes well, getting skinned sure. and you know that that's a different thing that's so it doesn't it doesn't phase me right it's it's, it's it's very different when it's in a cannibal movie yeah, they're just the like here look at us stab this pig like yeah, yeah it's not it's not exploitive as it is like in the italian films right because so. it's not being presented as shock value it's just window dressing it's this just is just what it looks like yeah. yeah so it's it's a completely different thing so i guess it doesn't that's like the bird death thing was specifically you know, as plot specific, they they didn't linger on it, but it was like here, this is a bird. You know, it had nothing to do with food prep, so it was a little jarring. But 
What else? What was the deal with the... What was his name? Gus? It wasn't Gus. It was something like that. The, ha- the handyman guy? <laughs> yeah. He was, he was kind of like an Igor or something. Yeah. Almost. Yeah, he, he was the, the Renfield, and he showed up as yeah. the Renfield in Lake of Dracula, too, but again, a completely uh, different Renfield. Yeah, that that scene on the side of the cliff or whatever when the two were fighting I thought was really cool. Yeah. And they linger on that shot of them fighting um, cool. at the edge of the cliff, the the low angle from down the cliff where it just looks like it, you just see their silhouettes fighting. Uh-huh. And I'm thinking, oh man, they're gonna somebody's going to fall. Like, for real, I thought, like, somebody's <laughs> going to fall. They're fighting right at the edge of this cliff. And it's a real cliff, you know. <laughs> there was one scene uh, when um, when uh, is it Kiko? Kiko, yeah. Okay. Um, when she goes back the second time to track down her brother and the doctor's there and they're trying to sedate her and um, what's the what is that character's name? It's not Gus. I'm going to keep saying Gus because I don't know what <laughs> I can't remember what it is. Anyway, you should just say it with write that one down. You should just say it with confidence because I would believe (laughs) you. Don't believe me. (laughs) I I would totally believe you, and I watched this movie not that long ago. So he looks like a Gus. Gus, We'll go with it. Mm -hmm. It is Gus. Is it really? Jason's on the IMDb right now. It says staff at Gus Station. Hmm. It's probably not pronounced that way, but that's not the guy. Anyway, we're talking about the (laughs) the servant at the at the house. The one that's, as soon as, at the beginning of the movie, when he lets the guy into the house, he starts to beat the shit out of him. (laughs) There was, like, that one scene where, yeah, when they're sedating her, I got a little weird, rapey vibe for a second. I'm like, what is going on? Mm. They're not gonna do that, are they? I don't... (laughs) They didn't. It was just weird. Like, they brought up how he was watching her... And stuff. I'm like, why was that even necessary to say that? It's just weird. Genzo. Oh. Gus. Yeah, G. You're right. (laughs) Which translates to Gus. (laughs) How cool was that, like, when when she ran up and slit that guy's throat right there at the end? It's freaking awesome. Yeah. And he's braid blood everywhere. It was that was cool. badass. Yeah, it's like finally some. It's well, it was more impactful because it wasn't that gory. Yeah, and then it was like, oh fuck, it is spraying. It was awesome. <laughs> <laughs> it's like oh. that. That moment's what made it known, or like that's what made it onto people's lists because of that. <laughs> that moment, I saw. I think one of my favorite characters is probably the uh, gravedigger guy, though. He was just... Oh, yeah! <laughs> that and was they the... open up the grave, and there's the mannequin that pops up. Yep. That was, <laughs> that was hilarious. And they turn around, he's already, like, halfway across the yeah. field. It's like, I, we, did, we did cremate her, as is the normal custom. I buried her myself, and if you pay me, I'll dig her up for you. <laughs> <laughs> All right, now here's where they're starting to blend together already for me. So, you were talking about the guy walking through the desert, drinking his own blood, and that whole On flashback scene. No name. Yeah, exactly. Was that <laughs> ev- was that evil of Dracula? Yes. Okay. 
the part that I call shenanigans on is when they go when they're telling that story. They're at the half dug up coffin. Why would that coffin? I mean, that coffin had been empty for like how many years or whatever. But right. it's but it's still there. It's still in excellent shape and still half dug up or whatever. Yeah, that w- that was a little shenanigans on that one. But I I'll, but I still really liked Evil of Dracula. I kind of said a couple negative things about it so far, but I still thought um, it was really cool. I like the idea of putting it in the um, in that old girls' school kind of environment. Of course you like that part. <laughs> well, those, there was something going on with those girls. They were, they were uh, really into teachers, I guess, or something. Yeah, like the second uh, he shows up and says, I'm your new psych professor, the one girl's like, if you let us stay out late, I'll go out with you. Yeah. Like, well, and then Oh, he, that's inappropriate. He's doing that one lesson in class and he asks a question. The girl stands up and is like, uh, if I say I were in love with you, would that count? Or something like that. <laughs> and you're like, Jesus Christ, girl, calm down. And suddenly you're thinking of getting a teaching degree and moving to Japan, aren't you? <laughs> um, already taking online courses as we speak. Um, <laughs> well, but then there's the scene where he first he first meets the three girls at the tennis court and they see, um, was it the headman? No, it wasn't the headmaster. It was the, no, that was Yoshi, the creepy lip professor. Yeah. The lip professor is kind of standing there staring at him and, and and they're making fun of him. It's like, Oh, he's so creepy staring at us. And, and his, and the, the teacher's reasoning for it is like, Oh, I just love this line. I wish I could remember. I should have wrote it down word for word, but it was just like, Oh, don't blame him. You are beautiful girls, or something along those lines. Yeah. Like, it's okay for him, just creepy guy, to be like staring at these girls. Is what you're saying? Very, you know, of the time of the culture. Yeah, exactly. Subservient women. It's the seventies. Yeah. <laughs> L- um, little kids smoke, and it's okay for dudes to lech on their students. <laughs> exactly, dude. I tell you what, this is way, way, way off topic. You want to talk about like movies from the seventies that are extremely shocking today? That was nothing back in the day. It was no big thing. Go and watch the original Bad News Bears again. Holy shit! There's things they make that kid, they make the kids do in that movie that would probably be illegal for them to even fake, let alone the fact that you know they were really doing it. Like the like um. The one kid's smoking through the whole movie. The end of the movie, he Walter Matthau gives each kid a beer. <laughs> and this is this warm, uplifting family film. Anyway, that's Bad News Bears. There's no vampires in that. Um, but they do go to Japan once, so we can. So it all comes back around. Uh, the scene in Evil of Dracula, like when he goes to the basement. To, to look at the dead wife in the coffin and he gets caught by the headmaster I'm just the when they first get when he first gets caught I think I may have said it out loud even though I was watching it by myself like good luck talking your way out of this one buddy you know and he's just like oh I just wanted to see her or something like that I'm like really that's but it's a cool shot because he's facing away from the coffin 
and you start seeing her hands rise up. I was like, oh, that's nice. That's creepy. And then it cuts to the headmaster, and it's a close-up shot on the headmaster, and I don't even remember a thing that he said, because the whole time I'm thinking, cut back, cut back. What's going on? Is this woman sucking his blood yet or what? You know? So, yeah. Jason? Well, you said headmaster. I, I started thinking about Transformers. I was going to say something about that earlier, that the second you said headmaster, Jason got all excited. I started drifting (laughs) off and thinking about that instead of listening to you. Whatever. (laughs) So vampires. So yeah. Yes, an American release. Gosh dang, I want... Yeah, I really want these now. I really, really want these. Thank you, Brian. Yeah. You're welcome. Maybe we should just maybe we should do an episode or maybe a oh. bonus episode, at least just on Toho Studios because I've got a lot of questions now. <laughs> <laughs> Brian's got a lot of answers. So I know that, that's going to be a long ass bonus episode. <laughs> <laughs> but we can move on, Terry. <laughs> what? Yes, please, let's, let's let Terry talk for a while. We yeah. kind of oh. shanghaied the show away from. Her I need to things. pick. I need to pick something now. Yes, you do. Okay. Um. How about Sweetheart's Vampire Hunters? Did I say that right? I Sweet. fucking loved it. Tushi Hark, isn't it? Pr- pr- pronounced in Cantonese, it would be closer to Choi Hawk. Oh, damn it! I've said it wrong the for era decades. Of vampires, alternate title. <laughs> I can say that better. Um. It was. It's on Shutter, FYI. Um, lots of fun. Very silly. I enjoyed it a lot. Me too. I didn't get to it. Oh my! Uh, it's so, it's fun. So it's, yeah, it's it's a blast. Tell me about it, Terry. Um. So <laughs> this one's kind of unique with the vampires in that I thought the myth- um, mythology was awesome. With, yeah, it's crazy, it's interesting. Like before, they are vampires; they are actually zombies. So they yeah. So once they, a zombie eats human flesh, he turns into a vampire. Was that what it was? I no. just thought that it was like you if you wait so long or something. But you I can, can't remember. You can be you can be healed from zombieism, but you can't once you're a vampire. But if you're bit by a vampire, you turn into a vampire. It's awesome. Just watch it. <laughs> it's very odd, but it, but yeah. it's fun. Um, and I love that the vampires they like they look like zombies, like yeah. and. You know, they fly all over the place like they do, like, you know, martial arts movies do. And um, I love how they don't actually bite people to take their blood. Like, they literally just, like, they're sucking life force and they, like, suck the blood from, like, one foot away out of your face. It was pretty sweet. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, there's this master and he has his four students. Uh, student vampire hunters um, and they go after like a nest and then the the vampire hunters are off on their own later and 
this is making a whole lot of sense. Basically, they go to this this family this family's house. The uh, Jiang's Jiang. I'm so bad at pronouncing these. Um, but because they have this compass, which apparently points in the direction of vampires. So the compass leads them to this house and there's this wedding going on and there's this whole thing and they get sucked in by this crazy chef who just instantly hires them when he sees them because he needs people in the kitchens or something like that. Something silly. Um, And so yeah, they're like, oh sure, yeah, we'll, we'll work for you and earn money and then also hunt vampires at the same time. And it just turns into this whole thing and this family, like when their ancestors die, they embody them in wax. So they're like basically a wax museum with corpses inside. <laughs> it's crazy. And then I don't even, I don't even know what to say. Then there's some <laughs> vampires later on and they fight and it's fun. I don't know. <laughs> There's lots of twists and turns, but the gist of it is it's silly. It's a it's a fun martial arts movie with it's like slapsticky martial arts with vampires and zombies. Okay. So yeah. in- intentional comedy, you're saying? Well, oh yeah. Yeah, that was one of the two things I loved about it the most. Is like the earth, wind, fire, water dudes. That's the the four <laughs> main the four main dudes. Wind, were, lightning. Right, Something. rain, rain, and thunder. I believe. Yeah, those fucking guys were hilarious. So funny, I like, loved it, it so much. I think it's they were funny. It's not that the movie was funny. I just they were just literally little jokesters, and they were <laughs> well, fucking yeah, hilarious. There were, definitely, there were definitely some points that I feel like had been written in, and then the music sort of notated some comedy too sometimes. Yeah, they were always but it wasn't giving like each other shit, things. and it was awesome. Yeah. And then yeah, the, what, what you're saying is the movie isn't funny, like, haha, this is a bad movie. It's funny on purpose and successfully yeah. so. Yeah. yeah. Lots of levity. Another thing I loved about it is the fucking vampire master was powerful as fuck. Yeah. Like, it was, it was like the end boss boss <laughs> of a fucking game. Yeah. It, you know, like, the, the vampire was badass. He'd suck your fucking shit right out of you. Like, he was... From like, across the room. I like will give you one spits. chance to rephrase that. He will. <laughs> no. But, uh... <laughs> like he just yeah, like, here comes he the out smoke he, and it he just like, couldn't be beat smoke take you yeah it was powerful so it was, it was i mean i was really like i don't know if they're gonna beat this guy for real he was like too powerful for everybody i well, love, yeah, this. I love this, that about it there's like this underlying i guess to explain it better there's this house there's a wedding happening and it turns out that the this new wife is um, the sister of this really skeezy guy. What did they call him? Dragon? Mm-hmm. They called him Dragon. Um, but it turns out Dragon is after the family's gold. So he sold off his sister to marry into this family. And then not even a day after the sister marries this son, 
in this family, he gets knocked off by a vampire. And so then her brother is trying to come and, and steal the family's gold because it's all falling through. And they, the interactions there were pretty funny, too, between Dragon and the, I guess it's the cook, that guy. They all call him Dragon. I get the feeling, because he's, he's this type of character, he's the kind of guy who makes everyone call him Dragon. Uh-huh. Yeah. Like, nobody calls him that because they think he's cool. He's just a dickbag who wants everyone to respect him. And Yeah. yeah. So, here's something. <laughs> L- little little uh, nerd attack slash here's something I read into the movie. Uh, Chinese hopping vampires, Gongxi, uh, it literally means hard or stiff corpse. That's why they hop. They're rigor mortis. Oh yeah, I was going to say something about how they hopped. <laughs> yeah, rig- rigor mortis seizes up their joints and muscles, and that's the only way they can move. So huh. it, it's not meant to be a comedic thing. That's actually what... And as far as it's sucking energy out of your face rather than biting into your neck, they feed off key energy rather than blood. Uh, they're They're more of a mystic thing rather than yeah a, i thought it seemed like maybe it was more like a life force sort of a deal mm-hmm, yep and they can be immobilized by a taoist priest sticking a piece of paper with a prayer on their forehead that's and you see yeah. that with the zombie angler guy he's got a bunch of corpses lined up and he's um talking about how they died in foreign lands and he's got them all rounded up there because he's taking them home, and that's something you see pretty commonly in a lot of these movies. You'll have a Taoist priest with a little entourage of uh, zombies with these ceiling prayers stuck to their foreheads, and he's just leading them through the countryside, taking them to wherever they need to be. That's uh, There's also a really weird one called Ghoul Sex Squad. That It's a triple X rated, what they call in Hong Kong, a category three movie that's got hardcore sex where he's like fucking one of the zombies because she's a hot girl. But anyway, that's a... <laughs> Mike's writing that oh, down. Can I get a link to that, please? Uh, I have it on like 14th generation bootleg VHS. I'll let you, <laughs> I'll let you tape a copy of it next time we see each other. Um, but anyway, it's something that you were talking about, Jason, how powerful the... the King vampire is at the end, yeah. And there now, I don't know this for sure. I'm just guessing based on how classist society is over there. Oh. Um, that remember, he he starts out as just a vampire, and he's he's already a badass because he takes out. Oh yeah. Uh, they, they think he's even killed their master, but he wipes out like three dozen other dudes in their little vampire hunting uh, organization. Yeah. And they're the only four left. But at the end, they're talking about how. He, he's even more powerful because he can like breathe fire and like use the force and shit at the end. <laughs> and they say he's more powerful because he's been feeding on the master Jiang and uh-huh. he's fed on dragon and a few other, uh, you know, higher up people. So it, it's read to me like this vampire who was already strong enough because he was so old and had been eating so many people was now drawing energy from, aristocrats from nobles and that was making him even more powerful and I don't know again if that's mm. just me being a, a nerd about this or if that was really like oh, a cultural it's... statement of like he got more powerful because he was taking energy from more important people yeah I could totally see that and yes it is you being a nerd about it but, <laughs> <laughs> but you're also that... probably right 
I thought it was also interesting, like, they kind of revealed toward the end in the last fight how the vampire is, like, heat-seeking. Oh, and, yeah. like, if you douse yourself in water, he, they can't see you. I thought that was interesting. That was something kind of different. Yeah, predator style. As yeah. These vampire <laughs> hunters somehow saw predator. Yep. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Cool. Yeah, dude, check it out. I mean, I, I fucking yeah. laughed out loud a lot. Yeah, nice. it, was it was lots of fun. Really funny. It was badass. And it it had that bad Italian zombie makeup that you love. Oh yeah. As and that's what the vampires look like. So I knew you'd love that. Yeah. And that's that's another part of the Gongshi that they're uh, typically portrayed as having green lumpy moldy skin like that because it's supposed to be grave mold ah. so so it, it's actually more of an aesthetic choice than a we don't know what we're fucking doing right <laughs> <laughs> awesome awesome yeah I'll definitely check it out there's one of these days Brian I need to have a conversation with you um cause I haven't seen I know I I have and I've seen Mr. Vampire and I don't think I've seen all of them in the isn't there like two or three of them in that series there, or something? Yeah, there, I believe there's three of them and I actually I think I've only seen the second one and I didn't get a oh. chance to watch the new one unfortunately. There was <laughs> a, to, to watch the first not the new one excuse me I didn't get a chance to watch the first one for the show so. So in the late '80s, early '90s, in my bootlegging days. Um, one of our tape, one of my tape traders, always had this cool thing where he just put samples of things at the end of his tapes. The only problem with it is sometimes he put scenes from movies, and but like would have no idea what the fucking movie is. And there was one, there was a, there was a lot of Asian stuff he he would put on there that I just thought was freaking awesome and in awe of of them. And to this day, I don't know what some of those movies are. There was another one that was kind of felt like it was around the era of Mr. Vampire, and it was the whole hopping vampires and all that stuff. But it, uh, I, I'll have to get into it another time because it's not going to be interesting for a podcast. But because uh, it's it's going to be me of ten minutes trying to recollect what my eyes had seen from 20, 20 years, years ago. ago. So I'm just going to say that that's okay. It's probably not interesting to most of our listeners. Whenever I start waxing dorky on all of this stuff here so <laughs> i find people, it interesting the people love it brian um but it's that moment in the show that's right doesn't happen very often it's like a solar eclipse where i eat some crow oh, oh i love I, this part of the show and i have to backtrack of how many years has this show been going 17 50 years of Attack of the Killer podcast. <laughs> I have to go back and and take back all the negative things I said about a movie. Because I finally got off my ass and rewatched John Carpenter's Vampires. Oh, it turned you around this time, did it? You it used did. to be a hater? You used to hate that movie. Based on watching it one time when it first came out on VHS. And my memory is so blurred and faded from that one time experience that... It was it, other than the hotel scene. 
Um, it was like a whole new movie for me. I do not remember any goddamn thing from this movie um, when I watched it this new time. And watching it this new time, I loved it. Great movie. A lot of fun. So how you remembered was the most boring scene in the movie, and then you got to re-experience all the great dialogue and the cool special effects and the, Wait, boring <laughs> the so great what? score. It had a... the, the hotel scene when they're like... Oh, you're talking about when Valet ho- comes and kills all... The I hotel slaughter talk- scene, yeah. The okay, I thought you were talking scene. about the scene later in the movie when uh, when Jack Crow is smacking yeah. around the Renfielded girl yeah, because yeah. she's like trying to get information out of her. Yeah, you're, okay, so you're talking about the cool one where Valet just- uh, hacks Mark Boone Jr. in half like the chick in the camping scene in uh, uh, Jason Goes to Hell. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. And, and I will say, like... It's kind of funny because the one thing I remembered from this movie, which is the hotel slaughter scene, um, and I always said for years, I've said that's the best part of this movie. It's the only good thing about this movie. And watching it this time around, I'd have to say it wasn't my favorite part of the movie. Actually, it didn't even hold up to my memory of how cool that scene was. I was like, yeah, that was okay. That was fun. But the movie itself as a whole i love the concept i love the i love the idea of like just uh, following this group of uh, hotel or vampire slayers around and and the whole the whole history of this particular vampire was neat and how it was all tied into uh you know christianity and all that and and yeah, it was it was a great movie. Still can't stand James Woods. I would have much preferred a different actor in the in the lead, but uh, but you know I can even give him a hall pass for as great this as this movie is. Um, yeah, totally totally turned around for me. Much much better than I ever remembered it. Still a few things I have concerns about, and. I have to ask. Well, I'll get into that. Let me ask. Uh, did anybody else get a chance to rewatch it for this episode? Yep. And Jason, you were also with me back as far as like not liking this movie for years. That's right. And now, I I am turned around on it, but I'm nowhere near as. I'm not about to say it's a great movie. Well, I'm not saying it's a great movie. But you just said it's a great movie. Did I? Yeah. Just use the words great? <laughs> yes. But it's a great movie. I know you said that. I don't agree, but... It's not a great movie. I thought it... But it's... I thought it was better than I remember it, too. Yeah. For sure. Definitely. And I wanted your excitement to make it better for me, but I... You know, I... I don't know. I'm with you on James Woods. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He should never be a lead, ever. <laughs> I don't, I don't know. I, I don't know what it is about him. I don't know. He just... Egomaniac thing. I just can't... See, I don't know if it's He's like... He's an asshole. Well, see, I don't know if, if it's one of those, like, you know, his persona that we are led to believe what he's like in real life. It bleeds into his performance, but his character is an asshole in this movie, and I don't think it could have been come off as bad of an asshole if it was a different actor. But he has always had kind of a smug pretentiousness about every role he's ever played. That yeah. that gets under my skin. So, anyway. The only not- role I've ever liked him in was Hades and Hercules. Because <laughs> I didn't have to look at his face. That's that's true, but even that even that performance is kind of the same thing. There's that smug... Well, yeah. 
that's smug. But he's Hades. So. Yeah, I mean, it works works for it, you know. I mean, casted well. But even his like little stint in Casino at the, during that moment, I'm just like, ah, oh, can't wait for the for somebody to you know break his legs. But <laughs> Terry, have you rewatched? Did you get a chance to rewatch this one? Or yep. What do you think of this movie? I don't know if I. I remember. really enjoyed it. Like I, rem- I thought I liked it when I watched it forever ago and revisiting it. Yeah, I mean, definitely, I'm on the. The James Woods sucks, but whatever he does, he he fits the role well. I just was angry every time I had to watch him. <laughs> I was able to look uh, past him for the most part in this movie because he yeah. is like about seventy five percent of the movie. Yeah, it's true. I really, um, I completely forgot that it was Cheryl Lee who is the um, chick, vamp chick. In oh, this, who's Cheryl Twin Peaks? Oh yeah, Twin Peaks. Yep, yep, yep. Yeah, uh, she's Laura Palmer, dude. I know who. Uh, it's Twin the main Peaks. Yep. thing. Yeah. Anyway, she's the. Um, I need John here to back you up on that. I've actually never seen a single frame of that show. Me. Either. Well, the whole yeah. tagline of the show is "Who killed Laura Palmer?" Like it's all right. about her. <laughs> so. Anyway, kind of. <laughs> um, I like the um, the. The tag along priest. I can't remember that actor's name. Yeah, he was cool. I really he liked was him really good too. in this. Tim Guinea is that him? Maybe. Um, yeah, no, he was awesome. And Daniel Baldwin. After I figured out which Baldwin he was, yeah, his... <laughs> yeah. I, See, thought, I thought he actually did a great job. And the thing he is, he was my job. favorite part. Yeah. And the thing is, I'm not a big fan of the any of the Baldwin family, but I loved him in this movie. He yeah. was my favorite character. Yeah, me too. I hated the ending of his character in this movie. Yeah. Yeah. I, a writing choice, uh, right? Necessarily. Well, yeah, it's not, it wasn't him. Yeah. It was the way it was written. I just, the ending in general, I, I still kind of like a little standoffish about it because I just don't, I just don't like that whole thing with him and the girl and all that. But, with that said, I think he had the I think he had the best arc of the whole movie. Yeah. I really cared about his character. Yeah. And again, not remembering anything about this movie and there's that whole there's that whole uh, small little subplot going on where they think there's a mole within their organization. And the whole time I'm thinking, "Oh my god, it's going to be Daniel Baldwin. Please don't let it be Daniel Baldwin because I'm really liking this character." He's like the greatest like little sidekick character ever. He's kind of a dick and an asshole too, and is not afraid to tell James Wood to his face that he's a freaking that, prick. That's why you liked him. But yeah. he's extremely loyal to. I mean, yeah. He, you know, he thinks he should just kill this woman and they should just get out of Dodge. But he does exactly what James Woods wants him to do after James Woods disappears for like two days. So that's a loyalty that you know. I really enjoyed out of that character, so he wasn't too Baldwin y. Yeah. Was and good. he wasn't over Baldwin y, yes. <laughs> I really I liked the the differences in the mythology that they brought into this movie too. Like the stuff with the exorcism. Like yes, it was only partially yeah. done and that's why they can only be out in the evenings and they're trying to complete it so they can live in the daylight as well. Like that was really interesting. 
Yes, very much so. And then, of course, you know, James Woods is the character that has to be able to help complete the ritual and all that. But. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I just, I feel vindicated that everyone's liking this movie, because I loved it from the, I saw it probably around <laughs> the same time you did, Mike, like when it first came out on VHS, I didn't yeah. catch it in the theater. And I loved it then, and I love it now. I probably was, you know, since I was so much younger, I thought it was way more cool and badass then that like you know i see through some of the holes now but i still like i love the dialogue the interplay between jack crow and the padre one yeah just giving him shit about like did killing that vampire give you wood hmm? little tea, oh yeah little mahogany. <laughs> and then hilarious. it comes back around at the end and the yep. priest is getting the filthy mouth like I fucking uh-huh. love that part. yeah yeah and i love the score i love that cool kind of some great classic rock slash country like yeah it's not it's a John Carpenter score because I mean, of course, it is a John Carpenter movie, but it's not his typical synth stuff. It's a little more. It's got that kind of Western flavor to yeah, it, like totally. the Southern rock sort yeah, of style. Yeah, kind of swaggery, guitar-driven. Yeah, it's cool. You know, it's got some good gore in it. Um, I love yeah. the, that opening scene when they're cleaning out the vampire nest and they spear yeah. them and winch them out into the sunlight. That's the coolest fucking way to kill a vampire I've seen in any vampire movie. Like, Very inventive I just love and that. Fun. They've, yeah. they've got it, and it's down to a science. Like It's just a job yep. for them. It's not even a, oh, we're going to try this, and is it going to work? It's just like, fuck, here we go. It's like watching dudes go to work on an oil rig. Yeah, like it's it's dangerous ass work, but it's still just work, and they're just blue collar shit kickers. Yeah, that's what I was gonna say, blue collar. Yeah, yeah, it, it is pretty cool to see. Which part of me wishes that we could have seen more of that before the whole group was slaughtered, but but they gave us, I think, you know, just enough with that opening scene with um, explaining all that. So I thought the expl- bursting into flames looked really cool too. Every time it happened, yeah, yeah, it filled the. You know, again, while it wasn't pre-CGI, they could have done it CGI. It would have looked awful. But, yeah, filling a bunch of mannequins with, I would guess, probably, like, magnesium road flares and shit. Yeah, that's <laughs> yeah, just what it looked like. It seemed violent up. enough, yeah. It seemed pretty violent. I was kind of... Yeah. yeah. then you see, just a few years later, you get in Blade, where he, you know, killed the vampire, and they do kind of burst into flames, and there's sparks floating around, but it's all CGI, and it looks all dumb. And this is just like... did Okay... In in science class when you guys were in high school, or maybe junior <laughs> high, did your, like, at the beginning of the year to get everyone's attention and make you think science is cool, did your science teacher ever uh, throw a brick of sodium into a vat of water? No. Or, or, you know, burn some phosphorus on a lab table or something? Because mine did, and that's what it reminded me of. Like, you just get that, like, that big fiery... Yeah. violent, like you said, explosion, and it looks really cool. Yeah. Yeah. Now, Jason... Oh, well, okay, <laughs> one last thing from you, Brian. So, you're all happy that we finally came around on this movie. Um, mm. But we're, we're still bashing James Woods. Can you Oh, he's a total cocksmoker. No, oh, okay. okay. Damn he it. hadn't said right. anything, so we're like, oh, shit, maybe he loves James Woods. Well, yeah. I, don't, I don't need to. The guy's a total raving Glenn Beck-loving fucking conspiracy theorist right-wing Looney Tune. Why the fuck would I defend him? <laughs> okay, I, I, just because he's a shitbag person doesn't mean I can't like a movie he's in. I like Videodrome, too. Yeah, he's kind of annoying in that a little bit, too. But 
when we were talking, you were talking about the score, and I agree with you, Brian. I really like the score, but I look over to my right, and Jason's making faces. Yes, he He's was. He's wincing. What is that about? <laughs> I did not feel the same way. That's what, what was your problem with the score? Um, repetitive. Yeah, it, felt, it did feel a little repetitive. A little. <laughs> it was still good. I, yeah, a measure of each of the three songs they used the whole thing <laughs> would it was great, but then it just no it the repetitiveness annoyed me pretty bad. Gotcha. That's okay, all. I'll, I'll put it this way: I don't tend to notice film scores a lot yeah. unless it's in a scene that they're really punching it up. So, like in the beginning, in that opening scene where they're digging out the vampire nest, and you get the cool guitar, like yeah, this is badass. It totally fits for sure. I. But then there's so much through the rest of the movie, like, to my mind, there's like five minutes of that movie that even have music on it. <laughs> like, the rest of the time, it just fades <laughs> into the background, and I'm enjoying the movie. I'm enjoying the dialogue or whatever, you know? Sure. But so, to you, being a musician, I'm sure that it really sticks out to you more than it I mean, generally yeah, does not, to me. Yeah, not normally, but over the last year or two, I've been consciously, like... Snobby? No, no, I've... I've <laughs> I've I've always been a music snob my whole life, but no, but uh, working hard to listen to the score during a movie because I never really did before. Yeah, you know, like I would just I would just absorb the movie and go on to the next. And my retention for movies in general sucks. I don't know why I'm on the show, but I've been like, but I'm trying really hard. (laughs) But I'm trying really hard the last couple years to. To pay more attention and be more of a score soundtrack guy, and and I listen to them more by themselves. I never used to. And oh yeah, I come home and he's constantly just so listening I'm, to music scores. I'm really on trying his, hard his computer to to, awesome. to to take in that part that the movie is offering me. You know, besides all the other awesome things that movies give you, but I can't say I'd ever really noticed before. And it's great. And as a musician, it's great because like. You know, any any artist I feel like absorbs their craft from other artists and learns from that craft. And so, with you with music scores, you're kind of like opening your ears up to like a whole different level of music that hasn't really been a part of you as a musician before. I'm assuming. Yeah, and that's why, that's why I'm really excited about it. So Time I'm, for you to start listening to some Akira Ifukube. Yeah, whatever he said there, uh, yes, I agree with it. I don't know if he sneezed funny, and it, I don't know. Send me a link. I don't know. I want. I want to hear it all, though. I'm, I'm collecting like a madman. So send yeah. me links. It's awesome. I listen to it all. It makes me giddy. He's the guy who does the music for Godzilla. Cool. Oh, I've got. I got a. I got a CD that's the best of Godzilla. You can. You should rip off, Jason. Okay. Anyway. Um. So, while watching Vampires and enjoying it this time around, I think I kind of had another one of my epiphany moments of why I think the latter half of John Carpenter's filmography doesn't stand up. Maybe at least for me, but maybe hopefully I can open some other people's minds up as well. When I watch Vampires for the first time, or over this past year watched Ghost of Mars for the first time not liking these movies because they didn't 
I don't want to say they didn't feel like John Carpenter movies, because I know I'll get shit for that. So I'm going to say that they don't stand out of the crowd like John Carpenter movies have been for me. Have for me. Like Halloween, amongst other films of its ilk, totally stands out. Um, um, Escape from New York, against other movies of its, of its kind, totally stand out. And you can also almost say that movies of its kind came after Escape from New York. So, like, Escape like from Escape New York. Escape from was, LA. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, I'm thinking of all the Italian ripoffs. It's the first thing that pops into my head. But um, I'm just giving you grief. Yeah. And then Thing, forget about it, how that movie just literally stands out against pretty much anything. So, and, you know, and Big Trouble in China, same thing. So, th- when, I first, when I first watched movies like Vampires or Ghosts of Mars, they f- just felt like I'm just watching a cookie cutter, you know, another sci-fi film on Mars or another vampire movie or whatever. And not really, you know, being too John Carpenter on a pedestal kind of thing without really giving these movies a chance within, with on their own merit. And a lot can be said, too, that I really feel like maybe the time of watching those movies makes a difference. It's got to definitely be a nostalgia thing as well. So watching the latter half of an of a director's career that you grew up with and loved and their body work doesn't compare to those you know i guess you just got to look at um why you think that is maybe it's just you're looking at it through um tinted glasses but that was that was kind of my take on it and i think that's where I was able to really loosen up and really enjoy this movie way more. Like, just kind of going at it with, like, f- fucking forget that it's a John Carpenter movie for a minute. Who cares? Just watch this movie for on its own merit. I know you're not a reader, but I would love to uh, loan you the novel that this is based on sometime and get your uh, mm. thoughts on that. It's... I think I talked about this. In fact, I know I talked about this on a John Carpenter episode not too long ago, but it's uh, by a guy named John Stakely. And it's it's super over the top. Like, if you think the the quote-unquote badass dialogue and all that stuff is kind of ridiculous in this and, like, to the point where it's almost cartoonish, this is dialed like if if this is you know the novel is turned up to 11 and this is like a 2 and the character of Jack Crow in the novel is like this giant 7 foot tall just superman but he's like this ridiculous alcoholic man child and he kind of reminds me of the uh, the character Hanover Fist from Heavy Metal the anthology cartoon movie okay where you know that court scene where that guy turns into the giant, like, Incredible Hulk-type dude. Like, the Hulk dude from Heavy Metal is how I pictured Jack Crow when I was reading the book. Like, it just got to the point where it was fucking ridiculous. (laughs) Awesome. Crazy. Like, there's a scene... Okay, you know when he goes and talks to Maximilian Schell? Fucking Academy Award-winning actor Maximilian Schell playing the Cardinal in this movie? Uh Uh-huh. 
when they have that confrontation about oh, yeah. like somebody setting me up and the cardinal's like no you must do as we say or you know you'll be excommunicated like that scene in the book i shit you not ends with jack crow curled up in the cardinal's lap crying what the fuck yeah it's fucking ridiculous <laughs> okay you kind of make me want to read this movie or this book <laughs> Never thought I'd say those. See, you could. You just turn the subtitles on. You can read the movie yeah. however you want. <laughs> oh wow, wow. Jason, have you brought up a movie? I was just. I was gonna say. I thought about starting a drinking game every time he'd put that fucking crossbow on his hip. <laughs> Sorry. Oh, I guess if we were gonna. Bring out things that bug us about the <laughs> yeah, movie. Yeah, let's do that. I do have a, I do have a couple questions because I feel like they broke some of their own rules in this movie a few times. Because it's not said till like over halfway through the movie that you can kill. You, it is literally not said till over halfway in this movie through this movie that you can kill vampires with stakes. But it it looked like they were staking vampires left and right in that opening scene. Yeah. And even when they actually used the actual physical stakes, they still felt the need to drag the vampires out into the sunlight and burn them up. Now, I have a couple of theories on that, but I don't know if you would consider that, like, just not paying attention to their own rules, or they didn't explain having to drag them out into the sun enough. Because I feel like that's totally finishing off the job, because it reduces them to just, like, bones. And in a lot of vampire mythology, you know, especially, say, the Hammer era, if you remove the stake, the vampire can come back to life. Like, you have to leave the stake in there, like, forever. Yeah. So, I don't know if it's that, but if it is either of those things, that should have, that, I feel like that should have been explained to me somehow. Can I attempt to retcon fansplain this away in two different methods? Yes, sure. <laughs> Okay, first of all, they have to take, like, they get paid by the vampire, presumably. That's the impression I get, because they're counting the skulls at the end and saying, nine goons, not a bad day's work. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Presumably, it's much like trapping coyotes or any other sort of pest animal. You have to provide the paws or the pelt or something at the county courthouse to get paid. Okay. It's ease of transportation. You blow up the vampire, yes. all you have to do is take its skull back. Now, granted, you could explain that away by saying, well, why don't you just behead him? Good question. But then you're not <laughs> dealing with stinky, rotting vampire flesh. You just have a nice, clean, burned-up skull. Number two, they're using the stakes in a close-quarters fight as melee weapons. How accurate are you going to be piercing directly through the heart of the vampire when you're just flailing that fucking thing around trying to keep the vampire from biting you? This is true, but I assume that's also why they were using guns. And then they then they can actually be maybe more right. accurate and, with the stakes. And, and, those, and those pikes with the crossbars on them that keep the vampires from coming at them. Yeah. But presumably there's something about the stake, be it maybe they're blessed, coated in holy water... Uh, a special kind of wood. Now I understand that I am jumping through hoops trying to do the movie's work for it. Exactly, and that's ultimately at the end of the day. But there's something about the stake that, even if it's not going through their heart and killing them, that hurts them more than just shooting them in the face. Yeah. 
I mean, I can agree with all of that. I really can. And it all makes sense to me. Um, especially the second part, because then if, it, if, if it's the first one you said where they're collecting the skulls to, to turn them in, then, like, why do they do the exact same method when they're killing zombies in the, uh, in the ghost town there in, uh, towards the end? Where they would, like, shoot them, put stakes through them, but then still feel the need to drag them out in the sunlight? So the second, your second reasoning makes a little more sense to explain that off. But ultimately, my my thing is, is I feel like the movie should have probably explained all that a little better. Otherwise, it does kind of look like they fucked like up. Like I'm just, yeah, just doing all the work for the movie. Yeah. yeah. And there was another one too, and I forget what it is now. Shit. I don't remember. Never mind. We should move on. Did you have a va- vampire I, movie, Chase? I uh, I also watched Legend of the Seven Golden Vampires. Sweet. Yeah, it was cool. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Now you guys say about that one. What did you guys think? I have a chance to see that one. Yeah. yeah, I've seen it, but it's been a while. Nobody. So I can't help you me. there. Sorry, boss. <laughs> I was having issues when I was watching it on YouTube with um, internet stuff, so I didn't get the chance to finish it. I liked what I saw, and I've always been fascinated by that movie because that it is a um, a joint effort between the Shaw Brothers and um, Hammer Studios, and I was thought you know that's just awesome and crazy and. did you know that uh, they wanted Christopher Lee to play Dracula there at the beginning? Um, but he, he told them to go fuck themselves. Pretty much, yes. So, um, so some other dude that like just it just felt like such a generic, poor excuse for Dracula in that scene. Oh, I thought he did good. He was okay, but that spray painted white hair of his just bugged the shit out of me. Anyway, whatever. It was still pretty cool. I like the I like the idea of like basically the the Asian vampire culture kind of teaming up with the like British vampire culture. So it was neat. Yeah, it was a, one of the taglines somewhere was "Black belts meets black magic," something <laughs> like that. But then that was wrong because black belt was the wrong. Uh, yeah, that's why I'm just going right. to say Asian from it, now yep. on. Yeah. Uh, Peter Cushing try. was great. I'm not even going to try with Brian on this podcast to uh, tell you if it's Chinese, he's Japanese, his Japanese. Head. He's like, that's wrong. That's wrong. What, 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 what was the question? Sorry, I was stepped away for a second. Oh, no. It's nothing. We can move on. Peter Cushing was great. <laughs> yes, Peter Cushing was very, very awesome, yes. He's always awesome. but And it was so nice to see him in the movie. It's uh, the kung fu scenes are kind of funny, where all these British people just kind of hang back and get out of the way yep. for the kung fu action. <laughs> yeah, it was cool. It had more of the hopping vampires, and it had so it's it, Chinese, it, right? And okay. it had more of the oh, is that what the question was? Shaw Brothers Japanese or Chinese? Yeah, well, Shaw just, Brothers are a Hong Kong outfit. Yeah, I just I basically I said <laughs> I'm just going to refer to them as Asian 
from now on with you on the show to keep oh, myself okay. from saying one of the wrong. one of the promotional things they did with the movie was they said it was black belts versus black magic but then oh, right, right. black belts the wrong culture for whatever the I don't know no it's not black belt would be well I mean you can get a black belt in pretty much any martial art I think that's how they're all gauged I don't know that much about the, but I mean it's a kung fu movie so yeah and it had a lot more of the prayer thing on the forehead in it. Yep, the sheet. Yeah. A lot more of the paper. A lot more of that, moving them around with that thing. And, that was... and some boobies in this movie, too. That was yeah. a nice little surprise. Yeah. yeah. Even though it's been long enough that I don't remember a lot of specific details about the movie, I know the promise of Hammer and Shaw Brothers coming together yeah. It doesn't really lived up to. Like it never reaches the heights of lunacy that you expect from the Shaw brothers. Right. Or the heights of class and greatness <laughs> that you expect from <laughs> Hammer. Like it just kind but of it's kinda the like, two things hit each other and sort of fall flat in the middle rather than building off each other and making this amazing They're just like the yeah. fight scenes. It's like just one at a time. They don't really do things together. <laughs> you know, like one one stands to the side while they're doing their thing, and then the other. I tried. It's such a cool idea. It's cool that it happened and yeah, at all. Exactly. That's the biggest takeaway for me. So it's in it. there. It just didn't really. I don't know if it ever could have lived up. But who went to was, who first? I wonder. Was this like a Shaw Brothers idea, or was it? What, Camp- what year was it? Seventy-four. Then I would just about guarantee you it was a Hammer idea because that was right towards the end, like the last gasp of Hammer, and they were probably desperate for something that would bring people back into the theaters. And since around that time, kung fu movies would have been really gaining traction in grindhouse theaters, particularly in America, yeah. I would be willing to bet that they realized, wait, this, the next big thing in movies is this, this Shaw Brothers stuff, these kung fu movies that are coming out. We got to team up with them because this is around the time like Christopher Lee was out. Um, it was getting to the point where they were doing the things like Vampire Circus and that, which is actually a great movie. But they were they were experimenting. They were trying new things because they're making that updated classic Universal Studios thing, but with color and blood and titties, was starting to wear a little thin. Like because around the, you know at the same time you're starting to get Texas Chainsaw, you're getting that really brutal new wave of grindhouse exploitation horror specifically from america mm-hmm. and it was kind of killing that gothic horror uh, you know putting a stake through its heart <laughs> to be cheesy about it <laughs> and and so hammer was kind of just scrabbling at any chance they could have to keep their doors open at this point so interesting yeah so well again this is speculation i don't know for yeah. sure i would yeah. be willing to bet and i i know some people i could ask i bet my buddy dave thomas from england he comments and shout outs every once in a while if he's listening to this he's probably cringing and going jesus christ clark you don't know the fuck you're talking about. <laughs> so if i'm wrong dave please send us a message send us a, a voicemail something and uh, correct me but yeah leave that, us that, a message. That, that's my educated guess anyway if you leave us a message on Facebook, we will gladly read it on the show, because any chance to prove Brian wrong is... <laughs> <laughs> Jump at it. So, it just never happens, and that's why we're ex- we would love to. 
So a lot of times on the show, we do kind of a round table where I pick a person, they bring up a movie they want to talk about from the list, whatnot. You know, we've kind of done our rounds, although I feel bad because I feel like I forced Brian to automatically just talk about the... Uh, I didn't let him pick. I'm just like, Brian, tell me about these movies. <laughs> Those were the ones I prepared for. Like, I spent... An hour and a half after I got home from work, like looking stuff up, and <laughs> so okay. no, those are, those are the ones I was ready to talk about. Okay, cool. I did, I wanted to give you a chance to pick one of your own if you wanted, but if not, we can move on. Um, no, I I can uh, talk a little bit about Sundown, the Vampire in Retreat. Did anyone else find please, a copy of that? No. So no. please tell us about it, because I was really hoping there was a, a copy of it out there. Because, you know, I know Terry would probably enjoy it. It's got Bruce Campbell in it, so... Yeah, That's why no, I picked no. it. It, uh... It was one of those movies, like, I, another one that I'd known about forever. It was out of print. I th- It was, you know, there was a VHS that you could have for, like, $100. Um, uh-huh. And it was impossible to find. And then Lionsgate put it out on DVD probably 10, 15 years ago, something like that. I forget exactly, um probably closer to 10 and 15 but anyway it was in print for like five minutes but i snapped it up so i actually have a copy of it and it you know it's one of those movies that if it's been on your list of stuff you have to find because you're a bruce campbell nut yeah and it's and you've been hunting for it for a decade or more it's probably not gonna live up (laughs) but it's certainly fun and it's got it's one of those wow, what a great cast of character actors! Because not only is Bruce Campbell in it, but you've got David Carradine as Count Marjolac, you've got Buck Flower as one of the vampires, M. Emmett Walsh is in it. Wow, um, guy whose name I forget, but he's like if you hear his voice, he's in every western ever. He's that that kind of wheezy western oh, voice. Yeah. Guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he's in it. You you know exactly what I'm talking about when I say that too, don't you? Totally. Right. Um, but the idea is there's this town out in the middle of nowhere called Purgatory, and it's populated by nothing but vampires. And uh, it they've been all moved out into this town in the middle of the desert and sequestered by their leader, Count Marjolac, because he has decided that it is time for vampires to learn to live in peace with humans. And so they have, they had long ago hired some engineers to build them this uh, brewery that makes fake blood that you know an artificial blood substitute that they can drink basically true blood stole its idea from this oh yeah and uh, but the machine is breaking down on them and when when they were finished building it initially they turned one of the two humans so they could keep their engineer there and fix it so they didn't have to constantly have this human living among them tempting them until they could completely wean themselves off the blood. But they picked the wrong one. They picked the douchebag assistant rather than the clever one who actually designed the machine. So now it's fucking up. The douchebag assistant guy doesn't know how to fix it. And they send for the original designer to come back and... and you know, get it back into working order again. Uh, so he brings his his wife and his daughters with him. It turns out his, he was away at work a lot, and his wife was having an affair with douchebag assistant guy who is now a vampire and in a power or in a position of power to take over the family. One of his daughters is actually this guy's kid. Count Marjolac is really Dracula, 
and amongst the town folk there is a a small group of resistance building up of vampires who want to go back to the old ways so you've got all these different stories converging uh with this you know kind of love triangle uh battle over the family thing dracula trying to maintain the hold on his people and you know, convince them to live in peace. Uh, the resistance group, all this stuff going on, and it ends. It's it's a wild west vampire movie, but set in modern day. So I mean, it's not like you know all horse drawn carriages and stuff. But there's lots of shootouts at the OK Corral type of scenes, and you know the end is basically one rolling shootout, Sam Peckinpah style through town, and uh, it's. Theoretical. Oh, and Bruce Campbell. I completely left out Bruce Campbell, and that tells you something. His character is so marginal to the movie. He plays a bumbling descendant of Abraham Van Helsing, who has tracked Dracula to this spot and tries to kill him. And you know, he, he's essentially there for light comic relief. He's like a secondary character, which is a shame. That was one of the things that disappointed me most about it when I saw it for the first time, because I was expecting it to be a Bruce Campbell movie, and it's not really about him. Um, but, I mean, it's worth checking out. If you watch it, you're not going to regret the time spent. It's an enjoyable movie. It just its one of those things where, you know, if you've been looking for it for a long time, it doesn't really live up to the hype. You make it sound good. Yeah. <laughs> I'd watch it. Bruce. So I'm checking, I'm checking the time, and... Like thinking, well, maybe we should start wrapping up. But goddamn, there's a lot of movies I want to talk about. That I have well, on keep the talking. List. I'm gonna, because <laughs> I want to know for those who watched it, and I know Terry did. Oh, um, no. So I'm really curious to find out what she thought or what anybody thought of the addiction. Did you watch it? I watched it. I figure if I'm going to make anybody else suffer through another Abril Ferreira movie... Yeah, I was going to say, movie. when you started talking about wrapping up, I'm like, the fuck we are before we talk about the addiction, because if I had to fucking sit through that <laughs> and we didn't talk about it, I'd be pissed. Yeah, I didn't want to uh, make anybody suffer through another one of his movies alone, so... It, yeah, have fun, I, guys. I, I skipped this one. And again, it's not that I hate his movies. Nope. It's his movies are just... Are just slow. Awful. Oh. Uh, I mean, I like the bad lieutenant for. I mean, I, I, I just, I like his like just his his subject matter of just like these just gritty, bleak worlds that he creates with with toolbox murders and a bad lieutenant and this one's nothing like those. Miss Forty Five. Nothing like those. Miss Forty Five is really good. Miss Forty Five is, is my favorite the one of his. That most closely resembles an actual movie as well. <laughs> Exactly, and that's the thing. Like, just some of his execution, I don't care for because his stuff is like slow and like pointless yeah. at times. But so this I figure, well, let's give another one of his movies a shot. This felt like a college thesis f- film where <laughs> it was very yeah, it was cerebral. Like, very like I got if 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 every word in this dialogue isn't a minimum of three syllables per word. Yeah. It doesn't belong in the... Trying to be way smarter than it actually is. And, and it's not that, that that what was there wasn't smart, because it, it was, but it was well, to the detriment of the film, I thought. Well, I know I said That was kind of part of it, though. It was like this... Sure. Yeah. You know, you're putting together artsy vampire with um, a college film. I mean, that's what she's doing, is she's 
yeah. working on her dissertation. And so, yeah, there's a lot. It's very, yeah, like I said, cerebral is the only word that came to mind when I was trying to describe it. I'm like, uh, yeah, <laughs> my brain hurts a little bit after watching this movie. I know I use this word. Not because it's confusing, but it's just like, ugh, too well, many yeah. things. A lot of long dialogue pieces where it's just, it's that, it's those group of college kids that just think they're smarter than everyone else, so they feel the need to talk that way. That is all the dialogue scenes in this movie. I know I throw this word around a lot, but I'm going to say it, it's pretentious. Lil. Lil. And I think this is, this is my first film I've seen from this director, so when you gave us... Mike gave us a list, and he gave us a warning that this film was by Ferreira. I'm like, okay, that means absolutely nothing to me. Oh, so. I, th- I thought he was like, watch the movie Warning. It's an Abel Ferreira movie. And I'm like, well, I ain't watching that one. <laughs> well, because I know Jason hated Toolbox Murders. Huh? Not Toolbox Murders. Did I, am I keep saying Toolbox you Murders? Do. Fucking Driller Killer. I'm sorry. Killer. It was, Toolbox it was Murders is awesome. Driller Killer is... Jason. I'd rather, well, it it's was, got its issues. Yeah, and, and, and plenty of it was just that it was raw as fuck, and the audio was terrible, and that hurt it just oh, as much as yours the, was that on the technical side. Okay, I mean, it's I couldn't stand the fucking band shit and all that shit, but yeah. Anyway, this movie pretentious. But, it comes off pretentious. Yeah, and, maybe and I didn't. It tried I to. didn't I hate it. Like, it's not that I hated it. Yeah, I didn't really hate it either. Will I, I watch really it again? Probably Lil- not. I liked Lily Taylor's performance. I yeah. thought she did a really good job. And I don't know if I've been alone too long, or <laughs> yeah, but she was really attractive in black and white. I think uh, <laughs> she not in color. He's always yeah, like she's, Man, an, she's no. an oddly attractive person. No, like, not in she's color. Not you know that nose is bigger in color. She was much younger in this. Maybe her yeah. nose grew. <laughs> she um, told lies. But yeah, no, and and Edie Falco, I always like her. She was great. She did a good job. Wait, uh, Who's you, Edie did, Falco? you never watched the Sopranos? Yeah. Oh, okay. The blonde best friend. Yeah. Girl? yeah. Okay. Okay. Who just Sopranos, got it anyway? Jackie. Everybody got it. It's like what? <laughs> but I did. I really. There was a decent-ish payoff. Like, I really... I enjoyed that scene, the party, like, after she graduates. It was a cool scene, but I have a lot of questions. But go on. (laughs) (laughs) Mike's Uh, questions episode. (laughs) You know, she just... It just... (laughs) Shit just happens all at once. Uh, What were your questions? I don't know. I just thought it was... Well, I'm watching this movie... The whole movie. I'm watching this movie, and like, first of all, I guess we haven't really set it up. Um, so she's this uh, college, she's this college girl, and then she's out one night, and this girl walks up to her, kind of dressed a little goth-like, or more gothic than goth, but uh, um, it's like, man, it's a little chilly tonight, or something like that. And then the woman just immediately drags her into this alley and bites her and drinks her blood, and then like, and then she's, <laughs> and then. Miss Tyler starts to change, um, you know, and just her, mostly just her, like, attitude more than anything else. And, it's a very but, slow transformation. Yeah, and she, uh, but she's constantly getting sick and stuff, and, 
and um, until she figures out that she needs to drink blood too, and she starts doing that, and then it, then she, you know, then her personality really takes a takes a U-turn, and she just, you know, goes around killing people while she's trying to. F- uh, let me rephrase <laughs> sure. that. She goes around <laughs> drinking people's blood until uh, until you know while she's trying to finish college. Yeah, and get yeah. a doctorate. It started kind of like a drug thing. Yeah, which, you know, oh. That was interesting. That was obvious connection, you know, with the whole title addiction. And then, like, the song that starts off as some rap song about drugs, you know. And I'm like, okay, well, this is going to, like, not, Like it's an allegory or something. It's going to be the most obvious metaphor since. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but the whole fucking soundtrack was by them fuck. Yeah, which I was trying to figure out who it was. I should have paid attention it's, at the uh, end. I don't want to say Cypress Hill. It is. Was it Cypress Hill? Okay. Yeah. Well, so, I think raps, rappers do raps about drugs, so you just automatically go to Cypress Hill. You're so. right. <laughs> okay, so, anyway, so my questions. Um, I'm watching this movie, and it gets to the point where she just kind of starts going to town. She's, like, drinking blood left and right. And and it's like and she's even like hitting up people she knows. She like uh, she does her her teacher that apparently um, she has a different type of relationship with as well. And then her best friend. And the whole time I'm thinking like, what's she doing with the bodies? Where um, you know how come there's no cops going around trying to find all these missing people? How come no oh. one's questioning her because all you know she's. Like in one scene, this guy, this this uh, African American guy who's hitting on her, she goes and tracks him back down. Says, "You know, let's go, let's do it." And they walk out, and they're like not ten feet away from the freaking, you know, restaurant where or, di- or wherever that was, grocery store where all of his friends were hanging out, listening to Cypress Hill. When she knocks him down, just starts sucking his blood right there on the sidewalk in front of everybody, and I'm like. This is this that this is that like you said surreal type shit that annoys the fuck out of me. Like we let's let's not bother writing any logic to this because it's lazy writing. We can just call it experimental and and surrealism artsy. and artsy. Like fuck that. Where are all the bodies? <laughs> but <laughs> then you fun. get to this dinner scene, and there's They're everybody there. that she's been drinking their blood from. And I'm like, yeah. okay, well, she turned them into vampires. All right, I can almost start to accept that. And then all the vampires in this dinner scene vamp out and kill everyone in, the, or let me rephrase this, drink the blood of everyone in that room that's not vampires. So I'm like, okay, so this is just turning into a big plague then? So, like, when does it stop? When does this become, like, a vampire apocalypse? And if so, how come it's not already there and it's already not that way anyway because there's already vampires walking around. There's the there's the the chick that first drinks her blood, and then we meet Christopher Walken at one point in the movie too, who's like, yeah, you know, some, what was that? That was like my favorite part of the movie. That was like <laughs> literally the moment where my finger was about ready to touch the off button, and then Christopher Walken shows up, and I'm like, I'm in still. Just some random he like jaded vampire. Crazy, yeah. That you only see for five minutes and then you never see again. I loved his scenes. Like <laughs> his, uh, he can he can deliver that crazy that crazy pretentious dialogue perfectly because it's Christopher Walken. Right. Loved his scenes. It was great. I, don't, I think that I don't think 
that they can't kill people. Like, I feel like that party had more of a they're murdering everyone else vibe. Well, that's what I wanted to know. Like, where does that where does that line at? Well, because um, then, like, the guy that she attacks on the street, he's not at the party. I think that he wait, actually which died. guy, though? Which guy? The one she drags from the party. No, he was there. No, he wasn't. Which guy? Okay, what, you mean the, the black guy? Yeah. No, he was there. I guess I don't remember him being at the party. Whatever. Oh, yeah, but. I remember seeing his underwear above his pant, above the top <laughs> of his pants. He was there. Uh. And uh, so was that So was that one guy with the backwards ball cap that, like, when she was, like, after her interaction with Christopher Walken, she's having convulsions in the street. Yeah, guy comes he was there. He was yeah. there. Her teacher was there. Her BFF was there. Um, but yeah, I mean that one like they were like draining people though. It wasn't. What? It didn't seem like they were, you know. But see, and that's the stuff. That's the stuff I want to know. Like, is that the case? Because the movie ends pretty. Sh- the movie ends pretty sh- quickly after that. As yeah, and and then explain that to me. Like, she <laughs> leaves the party literally covered in blood. It's like scene out of Carrie. Right. Or more like seen out of Willy Wonka and Chocolate Factory, because I'm pretty sure they used um, chocolate syrup. I think they were like, I think they were trying to imply that she had quote-unquote OD'd. Oh, good point. Addiction. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, and now it's... Yeah, I get it! Because she looked like she was kind of sick. Yeah. From all after all the blood, like she looked funky, and then she started like wandering down the street. Addiction. <laughs> Fuck. But yeah, and then she was like trying to commit suicide by sunlight. And then, and then the goth, then, the goth lady yeah. that bitter shows up and says, no, 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 no. And then they like show her grave, but then she's walking around. So I don't, I don't fucking know. All right, that was gonna be my next question. <laughs> Explain that shit. Like, I guess maybe maybe she faked her own death? You know, like <gasps> vampires have to do if they're going to keep living? What if she killed Goth Lady and replaced... Because, you know, because, like... Well, it one, had her why name, was, like, what she got. Yeah, repl- put her whatever. in her bed and then left. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like they would have said something if that's what happened. <laughs> There's a lot of fucking shit in this movie that somebody would have said something... It, so, I don't know. I'm, yeah, I'm ragging I, I on it, but it again. you would it was, or wouldn't? It was, I would not. Yeah. Uh-uh. But I mean, yeah. it was it was interesting, and I yeah. didn't hate it. I just don't want to watch it again. Slow and pretentious. <laughs> Slow and pretentious, and it, and I'm with I'm with you as well. I didn't hate it. Yeah. I would not watch it again. It's, it's not easy to make one. fun of, though. Yeah. And uh, and I not. get more fun out of that than anything else. Right. So, but uh, I don't regret watching it at all. No, I'm glad I no watched. No matter it. how hard it was. Yeah. Now <laughs> I could check another movie off of his uh, filmography. <laughs> and, uh, woo! Not with that one. It almost it just it really feels like with all of his movies that I just really feel like I want to like them more, but I force myself not to, or for some I don't I don't know if that makes any sense. Nope, just like his movies. But, I don't know. You, I don't know how to explain myself. I want to... Because when I watch his movies, I instantly recognize, yeah, this is one of his movies. Is it your snobbery? 
Maybe I feel like because I feel like maybe if I do say I like his movies, then I would feel like I'm I'm a, I'm a pretentious film snob. <laughs> so I'm a pretentious film snob because I force myself not to like his movies for that same reason. Right. But anyway. Well, good. Because I, I saw that you had posted that you watched it, Terry. So I'm like, oh, good. Yeah, I know. I, when I saw you comment on it, I'm like, oh, great. Now we have to talk about this movie. <laughs> <laughs> again, again, that those Christopher Walken scenes were great. And it was a lot of exposition stuff. But no one delivers exposition like Christopher Walken. Just kind of explaining <laughs> what they are and... I, I like the idea of how he's been able to sp- spend, you know, years, um, like, not needing it. Just, you know, fighting that urge, I guess. I don't know. Oh, the dialogue, <laughs> though. Yes. Yeah, it's it's a very, very talky movie. Very talky movie. Yeah. Okay, we can move on. Um, what about... Did anyone get to watch Steak Land 2? Yes, no. I did. I think that the was... Steaklander. Which is the dumbest <laughs> fucking subtitle ever. Wait, was that real? Was that really Yeah, no, that's yeah. really, yeah. Oh, it's called the Steaklander. Steakland oh, no. yeah. 2, the Steaklandening. <laughs> oh, fuck. That, that the one. almost ruins it for me. <laughs> What'd you guys I think? Mean, they... Oh, go ahead, Terry. Sorry. Oh, I was just... That's just, yeah. Never mind. Okay. His name in there is all I was going to say. Okay. So then, what'd you guys think? I didn't think it was that bad. I enjoyed it. It's a ringing endorsement right there. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I don't... I don't think I enjoyed it as much as the first one, but I no, still but enjoyed it. Well, one, it definitely wasn't as bad as I thought it was going to be. I was a little nervous about it, like, not, I mean, you know, Netflix has a really good track record with original material, but, like, it's been several years, and, um, you know, I don't know, just that stigma of a direct two thing, I guess, maybe whether it's Netflix or anything. I was a little worried it was going to be of of lower quality, you know. Was this a Netflix budget wise. original? Yeah, I thought it was I thought it was done for Netflix. Oh. Yeah, I think so too. Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, and this one was written by the guy who plays Mr. Oh, it was written by him? Oh, nice. Mm-hmm. Cuz I Yeah. Cuz I also going into it had no idea what was going what was going to happen in this movie and I did not Re- I, you know, I was so I was instantly, gratefully surprised that it was continuing the story of those two characters. Yeah, I thought for sure it would be a whole new set of characters, and that's where it was gonna fall apart for me. But uh, the fact it was the kid and Misters again, great. It was yeah, it was. A, I thought it was a little jarring that they like immediately kill off. Um, his girlfriend and daughter the, yeah. yeah the yeah that just seemed very I mean I guess they were just like oh we don't need this for the sequel so they just got rid of them at the beginning to, to move on well, I don't know I didn't find I didn't see it as a full write-off because it's basically the whole motivation for the film 
I suppose, yeah. I mean, that's it's why just... he goes to find Mister, and it was the vamp is the female one-eyed vampire's plan all along for her to for him to go find Mister so she can find the Mister and kill him. That's true. So, I don't know. I guess just yeah, it seemed a little jarring just at the first. Like that's like immediately what what you see. I don't know. Oh, it upset me big time because it's like you know it's just like. Um, Walking Dead or whatever, you have this post-apocalyptic, you know, wasteland where nothing ever good happens to anybody, and so this movie starts off, and you see that the, you know, the guy, the, the boy has finally found some peace in this new, this new society, where he's got his little home with his, with his girlfriend slash wife, and their daughter, and it, it's like a ha- happily ever after moment, and that, that goes horribly wrong within the first two, three minutes of the movie. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, I thought it was it was pretty good. I I liked the um, like the compound where they're hiding out. Like I liked some of those characters. Oh yeah, they were fun. Yeah, the doctor and the the big guy. Mm-hmm. Who ended up being lovers. Oh yeah, that seemed a little forced at the end. Yeah. Yeah. But that could just be the actors maybe feeling uncomfortable. <laughs> Probably. Because, um, yeah, it's the one um, guy from X-Files, whatever his name is. Oh, Stephen. Okay. Is it Stephen Williams? I think that's right. No idea, but you're right. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I liked the, the, the chick vamp, the mother or whatever they called her. Yeah. That was cool. I liked I liked the scene where they're like toting her around, like um, yeah. in the shaded. And the during the day, yeah. Yeah, and then she pulls someone in there. That was pretty awesome. Yeah, that was very 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 cool. Um, well, and the guy that plays Mister, like I I love him as an actor. Mm-hmm. He's everything I've seen him in. I'm like so. I could, yeah, I'm so glad that he was back for this movie. Yeah, um, and I really liked the addition of that, um, of the lady, the mute girl. The, the feral girl? Yeah. Yeah. That was, that was cool. And it was cool, we got to see a softer side of the Mr. Character exactly. in this movie. Yeah. yeah. With the relationship with the feral girl and... Yeah. Yeah, because there are there are hints at that in the first movie. You know, they kind of touch on it here and there, but they brought it out quite a bit in this one. Well, kinda to the point where he's like, you know, he's like wanting to be done. Like he's at that that cracking point. Well, well, if if Mister didn't have a didn't have a soft spot, you know, for for anything, that boy never would have made it up off of his family's property at the beginning of the movie. Right. So, you know. Very true. Uh, he's just on the surface is just a major hard ass and that maybe he sh- didn't want to be alone. Maybe that was his whole And probably true too, you know. And you learn in this movie cuz I don't think they ever really talked about it in the first movie about the death of his family, right? Mhm. Yeah. So, you kind of learn that more learn more about the character in this one. But uh Yeah. I'm trying to remember. I keep Every time I think of it, and I go talk about it, and then I forget again. <laughs> Brian, what'd you think of it? 
Uh, I liked it okay. I was kind of in a different boat from you guys of uh, being hesitant with your expectations because the first time I saw Stakeland, I didn't like it. Oh, okay. And I thought, well, I'll, I've been kind of meaning to give it another chance because everyone likes it so much. I, I just felt it was kind of generic. Like, all right, I've seen everything in this movie somewhere else before. Yeah. And so I rewatched it again and then watched the second one back to back. And um, second viewing of Stakeland, I liked it more than I remember liking it. Like, it felt a little more interesting and not... I mean, it's still not the most original of stories, not that everything hasn't been done to death already. But, yeah. Um, but I enjoyed it more. And then I... You know, I, I enjoyed this one as well, but I, you know, it was a little, a little more than a week ago that I watched them, and I remember virtually nothing about them. <laughs> like, they're fine entertainment, but these movies just leave absolutely no impression on me at all. Cool. <laughs> Understandable. I could see that. Um... Jason, did you watch Stakeland too? Nope. No? Oh. I didn't get to. Bummer. Definitely watch it. I think you'll like it. It's, no, it's yeah, I plan to. That's kind of why I stepped away for a sec because I didn't want to hear too much. Oh, but. okay. Yep. That is one scene that I wanted to talk about. And I totally blank. Must not have been that impressionable then. Oh, before I forget again, yeah, this the the scene <laughs> earlier on when it's the the boy by himself walking around. I keep calling him boy, but he's he's a grown man in this in this movie. I just can't remember the character's name, so I'm gonna keep Martin. Calling him. Martin, thank you. Um, Which is very clever. Ha ha ha. Yeah, yeah. I say. Figured you'd remember that. Damn it, I should. <laughs> and, but uh, when he ends up at the old couple's house. Oh yeah. 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 And like was... I I mean I suspected something I suspected something right away. And especially that moment when he's like Wait, you're not eating? When you know, she gave him that soup or whatever and she's like, Oh, we ate earlier. I'm like, Oh, okay. And then she talks about but so this is my question though. Were they wanting to kill him for the meat? Because... That was my impression that they were can yeah. cannibals. Okay, because she makes that, that one. Fine. She makes that comment when she gives him the soup. She's like, "Sorry, we have no meat." Right. So. Yeah, there's just not a lot of food going around. So that was my impression as well. Yeah. Yeah, I thought that was a cool scene. Anyway, yeah. Is Danielle Harris in this one? No. Nope. She, nah, I don't want to watch it. She died in the first one. I know, but oh, okay. dead people in all of them. Yeah, she could have come back as a vampire. You know. <laughs> anyway, I recommend it. I recommend checking it out. I, I had fun with it. And a lot more during the day than in the first movie. Or at least, I don't know, the first movie felt like it had one of those filters on, on the whole movie. Where everything just looked all dark and bleak, even during the day. But this is a much brighter film. Yeah. So I, I can really appreciate that. Mm -hmm. Alright. Any other movies anybody wants to talk about? 
I've got one more I want to bring up, but I want to check with you guys first. Oop, I'm tapped out. Really? <laughs> okay, well maybe you guys have seen this one before this list, but I just recently watched Revenant. Yeah, nope. I saw it. You've seen it before, Jason? Brian nope. and Terry, you have not. So nope. Brian, no either? Okay. Yeah. Well, then we already did our argument. You and I already it. argued about it <laughs> off the show, so maybe we'll just save that one for another day. Isn't isn't that the movie where Tom Hardy fights a bear? No. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's Leonardo DiCaprio, but that's a different Revenant. Oh, yeah. okay. <laughs> this movie, it starts off like... It's it's I, I it um it's several movies in one. It starts off like Death Dream. Guy die guy dies at war, comes back to life when you know, um back in America, crawls out of his grave. But in this one, you know, he's a straight on vampire and he's not overly ghoulish, he's just the same guy that he always is. Then it kinda turns into which is a deep cut reference that nobody on the show but Jason's gonna get an old PF movie that we made called Wade and Rod Sucky Adventure. Versus basically two stoners hanging out trying to figure out how to be a va- how to be vampires. Too lazy to do anything. Too about lazy it. to do anything about it. Yeah. Then it turns into Boondock Saints when they realize that <laughs> they're immortal and they need blood, so they go around finding, you know, bad guys, you know, hoods and criminals that are holding up convenience stores, and 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 say they go in and save the day and become these vigilante heroes, but they're really just sucking sucking blood then it turns into 12 other movies and then it ends so my problem with the movie it was funny it's a comedy it's really funny um i have some issues with with a, with a few of the characters in it and their motivations and how the characters are written like there's two female characters in the movie that feel like they don't serve any purpose in the movie because they show up they disappear they show up again and then they're just d- dispatched um and then I just think tonally the movie is all over the place. Like it, it's as if they wanted to make, and they wanted to, the filmmakers wanted to make all of their favorite movies, but only thought they were ever going to ever make one movie, so they just put it all into one movie. Okay. And I hate the ending. So enough said. It's a pretty awesome movie. It's hilarious and it's pretty cool and fun. <laughs> I will say this though, and I, and I agree, it is it is very funny, and it does have its fun moments, you know, um, that I really enjoyed. But the biggest credit I'll give this movie, it has the greatest severed head—not a severing head, severing head, but a severed head, An existing severed head that's alive effect that's yep. alive effect that I've ever seen in a movie ever. Like I could not tell when it was a dummy and when it was like a guy's head through a table or something. Yeah, it was cool. It was very cool. Anyway. And then they run over it with a steamroller. Anyway. (laughs) And my argument to Mike is how come you're so critical of this fun, fun movie (laughs) Here we go again. When you're like, but you'll watch fucking... Robo Wars, fucking Robo Vampire, all of those. I mean, <laughs> That's what, because Robo Vampire is one of the greatest movies ever made. I fucking enjoyed the shit out of it. 
because I accidentally <laughs> accidentally watched it. Did. I didn't accidentally watch it, but when you put that on Twitter, I'm like, why are you watching this? It's not on the list. I know you're that's gonna blame me for it, and you did. Yeah, <laughs> it was really fun. So, yeah, but you don't fucking question shit about those movies. <laughs> but here's a pretty kick-ass movie that is pretty good that people tried really hard on, I and it's. Hate it. You're so critical. You were so critical of The Revenant. I, and it, and you know it's fun. It's a fun movie. That sure it has flaws, but I was at the same time all the way you, through. I never had one of those moments of like, oh, when is this going to end, or one of those moments of like, I'm just going to shut up. I don't give a shit anymore. So I was invested, and I liked the two main just, characters. You just preferred the Robo Vampire choices just, they well, made okay, just, versus the choices they made in this story. At, okay. at any point in The Revenant, <laughs> is there a scene? Where someone's in a hospital, be on life support, and they're hooked up to an EKG, and and their their condition is represented by nothing more than a green plus and a red minus. Yeah, what the no. fuck? Because man. If, because <laughs> if there's not a scene like that in the Revenant, then clearly Robo Vampire is the superior film. That's 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 how you tell. That's the mark. But seriously though, Brian, maybe you can help me help explain that. Explain this to to Jason. Let, we want to know your perspective on it because I don't want to go into my reasoning again. No, I that, know, but that was you like know, 10 I minute can, rant. I, I can see heart in things. That was your. That's what you tried saying, and I'm like, I fucking can see heart in things too. But so the argument is, <laughs> it's like, how can I be critical of a really great, well made movie? Well, I guess, well, let me see if I can rephrase that. But a really well-made movie that has a lot more going for it than these super schlocky, shit-fest B-movies that you and I love. Okay, the argument goes like this. If you go to a really high-class, incredible steakhouse, maybe people have talked it up to you, maybe not. We're talking 25 bucks a plate minimum. And the bread is stale and the steak's a little overcooked, you're going to be critical of that shit. If you go to McDonald's and it tastes like fucking McDonald's, you're not going to go, oh, god damn it, this tastes like McDonald's. <laughs> yeah, so it's the argument of, you know what you're getting when you're watching fucking Deathbed. <laughs> yeah, unexpectedly intellectual comedy. But anyway. <laughs> <laughs> This argument will be to going to the end of time, I feel like, between Jason and I. We are of so one brain most of the time, but he cannot understand how I can pick on certain movies, but not other movies. <laughs> if you watch a movie called Robo Vampire, you know it's going to be fucking dumb. <laughs> I don't know. I just think, like... Well, and I know why you keep bringing ro another reason why you keep bringing Robo Vampire into it because I keep talking about how Revenant feels like it's several movies in one. Uh, it keeps changing tones, but Robo Vampire literally is literally is. several movies in <laughs> literally one. three different movies. <laughs> uh huh. That was because that was Thomas Tang and Godfrey Ho's mo. That's what they did. They either funded and failed to complete or bought footage from movies that were failed that failed to reach completion 
and then stitched them together with some voiceover narration and called it a finished product. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> it's like if you, if you went to a bar at the end of the night More and took all the, and took all the half <laughs> took all the half drank beers that were on all the tables and like poured them into a thing and rebottled them as a completely different beer and sold that to people. That's that's a Thomas <laughs> Tang movie right there. Yeah. Sounds awesome. Okay. <laughs> Uh-huh. Now nah, I'm just saying that shit to get that reaction out of you. Okay, any other movies anybody want to bring up before we uh, take a break? Nope. It was Robo Vampire, but not now. Just kidding. <laughs> I, I, I was wasn't going to let this episode end without let, without getting your opinion of Robo Vampire. It was really fun. Yeah. Yep. Did you watch? Did you watch it completely by yourself? Or mm-hmm. okay. I just imagine, it, you know, movies like that, we've really got to have a movie party. And just how much fun the Robo fucking robot was a plastic padded suit. It, like, wasn't. It was, like, one step worse than Zombie Doom's tinfoil suits and crowns and masks. Nice. And I, I don't know. Oh, okay. Anyway. It's. <laughs> especially at the scene where it becomes. A bunch of tinfoil wrapped in a vaguely human shape around a stick that they blow up. Uh huh. It's bad. All right, so let's uh, let's go ahead and wrap things up. Um, we'll take a break, and when we come back, it'll be segments time here on Attack Your Killer Podcast. Be right back. Good evening. It's intermission time. Our service is friendly and quick. You'll find hot dogs, hamburgers, pizza, your favorite candies, hot and cold beverages, and other delicious snacks. So add to your fun of watching the movie. Visit our refreshment stand right now. We're glad to have you with us tonight. We hope you'll come to see us often. It's great to get out to the movies. Badasses, Boobs, and Body Counts is a weekly podcast that discusses grindhouse and exploitation cinema. Your three hosts, Mike. It's a quick. <laughs> Thank you. Come again. Not racist at all. Mark. If you bend over and you have what is essentially a pubic cottontail coming out of the crack of your ass, you need to do some goddamn grooming. And listener favorite, Iris. I do not have sex with that horse. <laughs> will make you question your own political correctness while laughing at theirs. Episodes drop every Sunday and can be found by searching BB and BC Podcasts via Lipson, iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play Music, and iHeartRadio. You can also listen to episodes directly from the show's website at badassesboobsandbodycounts.com. Hey everybody, this is Wayne. This is Zip. Lori. Brian. Doug. And we're the Necronomicast, a weekly horror podcast brought to you by us, horror fans for you, horror fans. We talk about movies, books, celebrity interviews, your mom. (laughs) I don't know what you want me to say. (laughs) Necronomicast. We also talk about streaming movies, new movies, as well as news in horror. And that's just a sample of what you'll get on the Necronomicast. (laughs) Do we say horror movies? 
Visit us at Necronomicast.com. Also visit us on Facebook. And on iTunes and all that. Necronomicast. Uh, we'll scare the shit out of you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Visit us at Necronomicast.com for more madness and horror and blood. We're good. (laughs) How are you? (laughs) And we are back. Time for segments. And as we always start segments off with, we're going to start with some... Shoutouts. It's time for Shoutouts. 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 All right. We asked, what are your favorite vampire movies that are a little less mainstream? Got a bunch of comments. Here we go. Up first, Benjamin Chi. Benjamin Chi, he's this awesome Australian dude that Australia. I'm probably fucking that up. Anyway, he he released uh, the collapse soundtrack for us. Oh no shit! Nice. Yeah, yeah Benjamin. It's a cool dude. He says lesbian vampire killers. Hmm. <laughs> and he says no. Anybody see that? No. 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 Brian. I've heard no. Of it, but... Okay. No. And <laughs> surprisingly no. I know, weird, right? <laughs> uh and he says, and although not a movie, I'd also nominate a British series called Ultraviolet, not to be confused with the Mia Jovovich film. And he put a link to it. Okay. Anybody see that before? Mm-hmm. Okay. Up next we got Jim C. Faust Jr. says Let Me In. Nice. I think Love we it. talked about that one on part one, didn't we? Yep. Uh, Valerie Winter says, The Fearless Vampire Hunters. I almost put that on the list, cause, but I don't think I could find it anywhere. That's why I didn't, maybe. She but says, I really want to rewatch that one. I haven't seen that one in years, and I don't even remember it. But That's what she says. She says, At least I think that's what it was called. Sharon Tate was in it. Uh, she hasn't seen it since she was a kid. Either. What's the other title of that? Like, Pardon Me While I Bite Your Neck or something like that? Nice. I... Yeah, I believe that is. Hi, Val. By the way, that's my mother-in-law. Mother Val! Cool. Joshua McMillan says, let the right one in. Gavin R.R. S- Gavin R. R. Smith says, life force. Yeah! Yeah, that hell yeah. An awesome movie. Fuck yeah. Space vamps. Love right? it. And the uh, the novel by Colin Wilson that it's based on is even goofier than the movie, if you can believe that. Oh. We had uh, Jimmy Dalton. What? Jimmy, I nice. Know. He wrote our theme song. That's Jimmy yeah. Dalton. He says, Santo and Blue Demon against the monster. So, when when Brian <laughs> talked about doing those Toho movies, I really toyed with the idea of of picking vampire movies from all around the world. Uh-huh. And... And um, I was gonna go for Santo movies for the for the uh, for the Mexican representation, but at the end of the day, I chickened out. But uh-huh. I love me some Santo movies. Why did chickened out? Why? Because there's other people there, on this podcast besides you and I, Brian. There were some <laughs> tough ones on I'm there. Just, I'm just really disappointed that Shaitani Dracula wasn't on here. But I'll. <laughs> 
I'll get that one in somewhere yet. <laughs> There's always part three. <laughs> Joe Bowman says Vampire Kiss. Vampire's uh, Kiss. Cage movie. Yeah, his like first movie, wasn't it? Sure. Jerry Dwayne Monk says Near Dark. Woo! Twins of Evil. That's oh, yeah. okay. What's that? Dude. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. Mike's bored by that movie. No, I'm not. Um, Adrian Rabion says 30 Days of Night is still one of my faves. Nice. Brian McNeil says Embrace of the Vampire and Vampire's oh, Kiss. God. There's only I know. there's only one good thing about Embrace excuse there's me, two, two good things two. about Embrace of the Vampire. <laughs> your girlfriend yeah. and your boobies. Yeah. Right. Is it that bad of a movie or Oh, it's terrible. It's okay. boring as hell. <laughs> it's boring as hell. Bill Smiley says, let the right one in. Hey, Bill. Another B-Fest friend. Nice. You spreading the Attack the Killer podcast love at G-Fest. Awesome. No, at B-Fest. B-F-F-Fest. Different fest. <laughs> yes. <laughs> That's a... I, I, I attend two alphabetically themed fests. Oh, <laughs> nice. <laughs> Tim Letterer says, a girl walks home alone at night. The Farsi language vampire movie set in Iran but filmed in Bakersfield, California. It's languid but in a really good way and does wonders with a very small budget. It's good. It's a little burn too, but it's it's really good. We talked about that one. I last like time. it. I like it a lot. I liked it too. No, you didn't. Whatever. Leo Redmond <laughs> says Razor Blade Smiles. Oh, that's one I haven't thought of in a long time. I don't think I know the movie, but I've never seen it. Sounds like Fright Night. Just it's it, it, it's know. wannabe underworld. Oh yeah, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. More uh, like gothy action vampire kind of thing. Mark Orr says Dryer's Vampire, nineteen thirty-two. Ooh, that's a great one. I yeah. think that was one that John was going to talk about if, if he had been able to be on tonight. Yeah, pretty good. Yes, very cool. Oh, yeah. Lots of really neat uh, in-camera, like back when in the experimental days of cinema, lots of cool in-camera tricks and stuff. Awesome. J.T. Smith says, the subspecies series, (laughs) Life Force, (laughs) 30 Days of Night, both Salem's Lot, the remake and the original, suck. And even though it's... No? Okay, you both said the same thing. And even though it's horribly directed and a TV series, The Strain. Hmm. The Strain. I watched, I think, two or three episodes and lost interest. Aww. I watched that. I guess I didn't realize it was about vampires. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't know. You that far? Virus? Yeah, uh, it's... Vampire virus? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Oh, okay. I really, I really want to give it another shot though, because it's Del Toro. So, but it's All like right. something that was like co-written by a Robin Cook-style medical thriller novelist from an idea <laughs> suggested by Guillermo del Toro, and yeah. he produced part of it or something. Yeah, like, it, yeah. it's pretty far removed from actually being a Del Toro project. Yeah, I well, know. There's a but book, there's a book written by. I mean, maybe it's co-authored by Del Toro. Yeah, it's, uh, Chuck Hogan, I believe, is the huh. the 
it's, it's that's where like it was just sort of an idea suggested. Yeah, like Del Toro came up with the synopsis, and I think this Chuck Hogan guy fleshed it out. It's also I forget what label, but they did a comic book adaptation of the novel, and I mean yeah. it's a whole big thing. But, well, yeah. my understanding it was it's just all of Del Toro's ideas for his version mm-hmm. his version of vampires, and I think that book it's really into like the science of of his version of vampires, if I believe. So like all that stuff is created by Del Toro and then and then you know the guy who writes around it I guess. So I don't know if you guys have ever talked about the Salem's Lot remake either. I haven't seen the remake. Um this is the original Hooper film. And there's also a sequel called Return to Salem's Lot that I've never seen. <clears throat> but not fans of Suck. Oh. The movie suck. Oh, I thought yes. they were saying that both... The all caps. Yeah. No, the I... The rock and roll one. I think... I should probably give it another shot. Um, if Vampires... John Carpenter's Vampires taught me anything. <laughs> um, but I think I ended up turning it off. I just think I get kind of annoyed with the music in it for some reason. Oh, yeah. If my memory serves me. All right. It's Chad Clinton Freeman says The Forsaken. I don't think I've... I don't think I know what that was. Chad is. Clinton Freeman says... A Taste of Blood. Yeah! Some Herschel Gordon-Lewis shit! Yeah! <laughs> he gets so excited. Herschel Gordon-Lewis! Mike Franklin says, <laughs> Grave of the Vampire was a good time. That's our buddy Mike Franklin. Yeah, yeah. Mike and I have really similar tastes in movies and share the same first name. And maybe the same build. You're both little fellas. Both are sexy beasts. That's I what I, that's what I was getting at. No, Grave of the Vampire. The title's familiar. I can't place the movie. Nobody, nobody. Moving on. Sarah Honeycutt says, "Let the right one in." And the hunger. Oh. <laughs> yeah, I've been seeing a lot of. I've been seeing a lot about the hunger when I was doing some research but i'm not familiar with that one at all i think it got it got a little bit of a second wind after david bowie's death so mm. but i don't i've never seen it it's really cool okay dustin Kretzinger says probably too mainstream but i liked daybreakers i didn't i didn't hate it yeah i didn't hate it yeah i thought it was all right i had a couple of cool ideas in it didn't they have like the human blood farm in it or something like that? Something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Our pal Brittany DeYoung, maybe first time commenter. She goes back to the Insane Asylum days. What's up? She says the first Lost Boys. Can't go Always. wrong. Can't Always go wrong. classic. Frog Brothers Forever. Yeah. Uh, Jack Christensen says my favorite movie of all time is Martin by George Romero. Fuck yeah, dude. <laughs> That's pretty good. Dropping the mic, and I'm out. Oh, Which shit. we talked about that one quite a bit quite on a the, bit. First, the first vampire yeah. episode. Yeah, and I'm pretty sure I talked about it a lot on the two-part George Romero episode. Yep. So, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I can go on it's again, good. though. It's a good movie. It's a great fucking movie. And lastly on Facebook, we have Sean Frost saying, A Girl Walks Home Alone at Night, Kiss of the Damned, 
Wait, Kiss of the Dam, that's the Queen of the Dam sequel, isn't it? That's what I was thinking. <laughs> Wait. No? No. Um, I don't think so. No, it's the sequel to Kiss sequel? Meets... It's the sequel to Kiss Meets the Phantom of the Park. That's right. See, whenever I say something stupid, I follow it up with something even stupider, so it makes it sound like I've just been joking this whole time. Yeah. <laughs> so continue with your... Anyway, uh, Sean also says... Vampire Circus. Nice. Awesome flick. Martin and Vampire. Vampire. Fuck yeah, Martin. Martin. Hi, Sean. Another buddy. He and Tim Leonard have a great podcast called The Fiasco Brothers Watch a Movie, and they actually did an episode not too long ago on A Girl Walks Home Alone at Night, where they do a very good academic dissection of that flick. Interesting. Sweet. And that's all we have on Facebook. Over on the Twitter, we have where'd you go? Uh, we have large moving torb at <laughs> v underscore z i l d r o h a r zildrohar says in a two part comment says Nosferatu nineteen twenty two still creeps me out. Oh yeah, still absolutely still very effective. Let the Right One In, 2008. It's just a great atmospheric film. What We Do in the Shadows is one of the best horror comedies of all time. Hell yeah. (laughs) Should we... We didn't really talk about that. We've talked about it on a different episode before, though, because it's awesome. It's awesome. It is awesome. I almost put it on the list, but I know we've talked about it at length in the past, so... Yeah. I just really wanted to watch it again, though. Yeah. (laughs) And uh, I I remember liking this movie. I'm not sure why, but I'm too afraid to go back and revisit it. Way too afraid to revisit it. Children. The Lair of the White Worm is cheesy Dude, as hell. Great. But I've got a soft spot for it. I remember. I remember I, liking I've it. I've seen but, it. I don't remember a damn thing about it. I used to have it on VHS too. Yeah, me too. You've seen it recently, Bry? No, but I've seen it. A lot. Enough to remember it? Yeah, I don't remember <laughs> oh, it yeah. that well. It's got Hugh Grant and Peter Capaldi, who is the current doctor on Doctor Who. Uh, nice. That's, <laughs> and that's the rest of the Hugh comment Grant. here. says, Doctor <laughs> Who battling a giant worm. Yeah. <laughs> I was just going to skip the Doctor Who part. and We almost made it through the episode, but <laughs> we did not. Damn it. Thanks, large moving Torb. <laughs> And lastly, on Twitter, we got Don and Nelly at Don underscore and Nelly says, "The Toho Dracula series needs legit U.S. releases. Those are a Thank lot of you. fun." Yes, they do. The Karnstein trilogy also tops most of the Lee's Dracula series. The what? The Karnstein. It's three of the Hammer movies. It's um, oh okay. I'm drawing a blank now on the uh, Vampire Lovers is one of them. I think Twins of Evil is another. I'm being a terrible Hammer fan right now, but uh, based on turn in your card, sir. Yeah, I know, right? Based on the novel Carmilla, uh, essentially the original lesbian vampire formula. uh, As as the Christopher Lee Dracula movies were starting to dry up in popularity, Hammer kind of swung that route and did three movies based on. uh, the Karnstein family vampire thing. Anyway. Yep. 
Uh, I was gonna look them up really fast, and then it's too much to see. I can't see. Okay. Anyway, that's uh, what we have uh, on Twitter, and remember that uh, you can also call in 415-952-6857 or 415-95-AOTKP to leave your comments. Leave us a voicemail. We'll read them on the show. Thanks, everyone, for writing in, and that's shout-outs. Why, thank you, Jason, for shout-outs. You're welcome, Mike. And now, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls... Young and old, it is now time for some wicked women. Just how I like them. Wicked women with wear tear. Alright, this time I tried to be slightly topical. Um, I'm going to talk about Ingrid Pitt, who is um, known for her work in Hammer films, uh, namely uh, Countess Dracula was a big one. Um, She was born in 1937 in Warsaw, Poland. Um, Her birth name was actually Ingushka Petrov. Um, but yeah, it's really interesting. She was actually a survivor of World War II. Uh, her and her family were in a concentration camp when she was a child. Um, but they survived that, and then they later moved to... She moved to California and married um, a guy with the last name Pitt. That's where she got her. <laughs> Is that how you do it? Weird. <laughs> um, <laughs> and yeah, she she started out. Um, she had a very small, I think, uncredited role in Doctor Zhivago, and did some early stuff, um, including a, the film Where Eagles Dare, um, which had Richard Burton and Clint Eastwood. And then, yeah, later on, she went on to also do some work in Doctor Who. See, oh, I was going to do it. Damn it. Anyway. <laughs> Yay. But, <laughs> um, she did some work in a few serials for that. Um, and then shortly after that, went on to go and do some work with Hammer. Um, she was in The Vampire Lovers. Um, and then... Like I said, Countess Dracula as the main main role in that. Um, and she also did some other horror, including The House That Dripped Blood. And she had a small part in The Wicker Man. I think she was the librarian, mm-hmm. if, I, if I looked that up correctly. You are correct. Um, and yeah, and she's done a ton of other stuff. Uh, she did some stuff later on in life, but nothing crazy as far as acting. A um, few things here and there. Um, but she went on to really, she became a writer. She had over, I think, at least 10 books that she wrote. Um, some really interesting, not just um, autobiographical, but she did some stuff about um, like the Perones in Argentina and some stuff some books about like Native Americans and she also her and her uh, third husband wrote 
they commissioned a script for Doctor Who. Oh, oh, I did shit. it again. <laughs> 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 but it, apparently it was never used. Um, so it's um, in one of it's one of the lost Doctor Who stories. I think they maybe did an audio version of it or the something. Big Big Finish did a bunch of those, so I'll have to. Yeah, that's what it says. Yeah, it's called The Macros. It was the script that she wrote. Um, Yeah. um, Went out at the end just mostly doing a bunch of books. um, Some of them around Hammer. Uh, She did one called The Hammer Experience. Um, And she even had a pen name at one point called, and her name was Dracula Smith which I think was mostly used for some short stories. But, yeah. Died in 2010, it looks like. But she did quite a bit. Kick ass. Yeah. Nice. Thank you, Terry. Mm-hmm. It was a dark and stormy night, and Brian had forgotten to write Mike's <laughs> intro. It's in Saints <laughs> Fix. <laughs> See, still good. That's my favorite one. (laughs) It is time, my friends. Time to conclude. Oh, is it finally over? Well, it's not over. Right. It's the last of the violent shit movies, because I still have to do Zombie 90, which will be next episode. Not looking forward to that. But it is time to conclude the the legacy of Carl the Butcher, Violent Shit Part 4 from 2010. Also known as Carl the Butcher vs. Axe. So, uh, real quick, um, Jason, can you look this up for me? Yeah. Uh, When did Freddy vs. Jason come out? Uh, 2009. Let me look that. So I was going to guess 8. But. So the movie starts off with Car- Carl the Butcher. three. Sorry. Hmm, interesting. Oh. All I have to say is interesting. So, um, Carl the Butcher versus Axe. Okay. Freddy versus Jason. Uh, starts off with Carl in hell, all chained up, and the devil tells him that he wants to bring... Carl back to life and send him back to Earth to kill Axe, because Axe is going to rival Carl the Butcher's killing spree. So, you know, can't have that, I guess, in hell. So, Satan sends Carl back to hell, but he won't go unless he has his mask. So, a naked girl, for some reason, for the right reason, Brings him his mask, and then he chops off her head and heads on back to Earth. Meanwhile, it's post-apocalyptic future. 25 years in the future, to be exact. There are different groups of survivors. There's the Gang Loco, the Others, the Black Monks, and then there's Axe and his sister Vendetta. Caught in the middle of all these gang wars. Uh, Carl the Butcher comes back, finds Axe right away. They have a, a pretty big fight scene. And when I say big, I'm mostly talking about Axe's axe. Because it is the blade of the axe is literally the size of the actor swinging the axe. It is comically, outrageously, awesomely ar- large. And probably made of cardboard and tinfoil. 
Mm -hmm. um, so they have a pretty sweet fight scene. Um, and then, then there's more bullshit between the different <laughs> gang members and stuff. Uh, these different gangs, including this one all-female gang that apparently only has three members in it, because those are the only three you ever see, uh, led by Queen, uh, Queen Scara. And she is way over the top. And what they do is they find men, kidnap them, and then hook them up to the sperminator machine and drain all their sperm because the, they like to drink sperm and hope they're going to get pregnant by drinking the sperm. Um, it's, I heard that works. Yeah, exactly. Um, then there's another fight scene between Carl the Butcher and Axe. And then if it comes out, they decide they should probably team up because all these rival gangs are also trying to hunt down and kill Axe. And they've apparently heard through the hell grapevine, I guess, that Carl the Butcher has been released from hell and is now loose and hunting down Axe. So they also want to kill Carl the Butcher. So they decide to team up, and as they shake hands, they notice they both have familiar tattoos. Dun-dun-dun! Carl the Butcher is Axe's father! What? Yeah! That we've never seen in the, any of the previous installments. So, um, so they decide to team up, Carl the Butcher, Axe, and their sister Vendetta, to take everyone out. And I think that's pretty much what they say. Let's, we're going to team up so we can kill everybody. Um... What's interesting about this one compared to the other ones in the series is that these have actual characters that last for the majority of the film. The first two movies, it's literally like, Carl kills somebody, they move on to another character. Carl kills that person, they move on to another character. There is no protagonist in these movies whatsoever. By the time you get to part three, a.k.a. Zombie Doom... There are three guys in white shirts that make it through maybe the first 20 minutes of the movie, and then it turns to these Asian ninja guys that make up the majority of the rest of the movie that literally come out of nowhere. In this movie, though, they introduce all the different gang members with cheesy title cards. Freeze, freeze frame on the character, pop in the title card, something you'd see like in Suicide Squad. And... And most of those characters survive through the majority of the film until you get to the full-on, all-out gang war at the end with Carl the Butcher and Axe and Vendetta in the middle killing everybody. Um, this one is the best looking of out of all of them. He has definitely peaked as a filmmaker at this point. I don't think it's shot straight on video anymore. I think this one may have actually been shot with a digital camera. Um, uh, the effects still look even better than the previous installments, I, although I still prefer Zombie Doom's effects the most, because they're just so over the top. This one is not actually as gory and bloody as the, as the previous installments, um, God, you know, um, which is weird, because that's what this whole series is based on, is just gore and kills, but... Um, so they, they actually feel like they're trying to work on their story, um, telling a story now instead of just being, you know, pure bloodbaths. I mean, it's still not much of a story, but it's Shakespearean compared to the others. Um, the, uh, 
I, and I feel like if you ever questioned if maybe the other films were supposed to be comedic, you don't really question it this time around because you obviously know they're going for more comedy this time. A lot of the dialogue between Carl and Axe are hilarious. Uh, the Queen Queen Scara is so over the top that it's it's obviously for comedy, but it's um, done so poorly that it's just annoying. And there's the whole like Sperminator scene, which is just gross but it's uh very silly but to really put it over the top there's like cartoony like looney tune sound effects you know when people are getting bonked on the head or getting chopped in half or what have you um so right before they go into battle carl the butcher drinks this potion from out of nowhere that gives him these like super muscles make him look like king koopa in the super mario brothers movie um <laughs> And it's, like, hilarious and great and amazing. Um, and he's so super strong that there's a tank that he pulls the turret off of the front of and beats up guys with the turret. It is off-the-wall bonkers crazy. You know, um, I know I've said I really love this movie. It was a lot of fun. Um, such, you know, such a great uh, final installment to this to this series. I know I complained about with one and two, as far as not really having any long having any long-lasting characters to follow, and I guess I should be careful what I wish for because we have it in this movie, and I hate every single one of them. They're so fucking annoying, but uh, it's still violent shit, and it's still violent shit goodness. So I definitely recommend this one big time. It was it was it was crazy and fun. Now, what I'm going to do to wrap this up. I'm going to rate all of them in order of my favorite to least favorite. Okay, so uh, number one, I think, is the best of the franchise. Still, to me, is zomb- is Violent Shit 3 Zombie Doom. Yeah. That is still the best one out of Good. all of them. Um, that one's just nuts, bonkers, crazy. I feel like even though even though this one looks like it's got a little bit of better production value, just because I think they're shooting digitally instead of crappy 8mm and VHS like in Zombie Doom, but it looks like, even though, again, everybody's wearing those cardboard masks, but seriously though, it looks like there was some real money spent on Zombie Doom in comparison to the The rest of the franchise. The effects alone. It's all in the effects, yeah. Yeah. Like that guy, still the favorite is Carl the Butcher holds up that, no it wasn't even Carl the Butcher, it was one of the ninjas. Carl the Butcher takes such a backseat in Zombie Doom. Yeah. You know, he's like this frail guy that never leaves his tent through the whole movie. Anyway, but the ninja that holds up that machete as as somebody kung fu kicks towards them and then just lets the machete cut down all the way th- halfway through the person. One of the greatest effects ever. It's awesome. It's hilarious. Anyway, so Zombie Doom, number one. Uh, Violent Shit 4, Carl the Butcher vs. Axe is, is second. Uh, Violent Shit 2 is third. And the bottom of the barrel is is violent shit one, so that is it for the zombie oh, it's or for over. the what's that? It's over. It's over. Uh, so that's it for the violent shit movies. But the box set is not done. I have one more movie to review, and then we'll be done with this box set. And that is uh, Zombie ninety, which <laughs> is and I've seen it before. <laughs> I've seen it before, so uh, I already know it's the worst of any of the movies on this box set. It's going to be a real chore getting through it again. 
The only thing I can hope for is that the dub is better than the version I've seen. That might make that might help. Oh, and that was the other thing too about Violent Shift Four. I forgot to mention. Um, there was some I can't remember the guy's name. I should have wrote it down, but it was actually co-produced and co-directed by by some other guy. And I th- I'm guessing it was probably I I tried doing research on any of these movies, and it's hard finding information about them. But I'm wondering if this one was filmed in the States because it's all English spoken dialogue in this movie. So it's not in German at all. No subtitles. None of that. It's all spoken English and you can actually understand what people are saying for the most part. So anyway, enough of that. Be back next time with Zombie 90 and then I can uh, put this box set away for a while. So, All right. So that concludes it. That's it, folks. This episode of Attack of the Killer Podcast. We uh, gotta wrap it up before the sun rises and we all turn into pixie stick dust or something. (laughs) So, uh, any final thoughts from anybody on this episode? I thought it was fun. It was a good one. It was a lot of fun. I wish I had got a chance to get back to uh, Innocent Blood again. It's been a long time since I've seen that. Me too. A lot of fun. May, may, may just roll over into the. I think it was on the fir- list for the first episode too. So it may just continually keep rolling over every time to do a zombie or a vampire movie episode. But yeah, I love that movie. And what's I great, don't even have a good excuse. It's sitting on my shelf. Yeah, uh. same here. I have it on DVD too, so I don't have an excuse either. But uh, what I love about that movie is I lived in Pittsburgh at the time when that movie was made. So it was gr- It's great for me just watch just looking at the background and being like, I know where that's at. I know when they shot that. And so, anyway, so maybe next time. Yeah. I was super, I'm super stoked for, for getting to watch Vampire Doll and Vampire Hunters. I love those two a lot, and I'm, so I'm glad that they were on the list because cool. I would have never seen them otherwise, probably, so. Cool, and I, I love how the show can do that sometimes. It, sometimes it feels like, I put some stuff on there that ends up being a chore for some <laughs> and so it it's awesome too that uh when we get when I get films on there that um we really like that we never would have seen otherwise if it wasn't for this show so cool any th- final th- uh any final words from you terry what do you what do you <laughs> um no okay so with that said, I think I've learned something today. You should maybe feel bad for the vampires. Why do you think they like drinking blood? It's because they can't go out in the sunlight, so they have to get their vitamin D somehow. So don't be selfish. <laughs> so that's it from Attack of the Killer Podcast, and we'll talk to you again next time. Goodbye. Oh no, could this be the end of? <laughs> what?